Hello, and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran, and today I'm joined by Boris. Please introduce Hello. yourself. <laughs> I'm Boris. Uh, I'm a computer science major at the University of Maryland, and I'm recovering from two days of a uh, two-day avalanche of assignments, and hopefully, and hoping that I can uh, keep my head together long enough for the length of this podcast. Um, I'm also the uh, president of the uh, International Film Club here on campus. Um, if you don't know what that is, we show weekly screenings of esoteric international films that hopefully people haven't seen and have discussions about them. We just had a year-long break because of COVID, but hopefully we'll resume next year. So um, if you're around, make sure you come see that. Definitely go see that. Um, unfortunately, I'm graduating this year. I regret having not been to more screenings. There were there was a great time. Um, saw a bunch of great stuff there, from um, Sunset Boulevard to um, and Trans Earth, which are both great. Um, Trans Earth, I will talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Um, today we watched uh, what you picked was Afterlife by Koreda. I think that it's 1998. Koreda. Yes. I think it's his uh, second feature film. Really? I didn't know. Yeah. Huh. And it's the first one that he uh, wrote. So hmm. uh, I don't know if that's significant to you at all. But... That is definitely significant because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very uh, jealous that this guy is this talented so early in his career. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not film, many filmmakers could pull off a movie like this so early. Um, do you want to introduce the film? Yeah, so, um, uh, he, actually, I'll start with talking about Kurieta a little bit himself, because Kurieta, uh, um, largely in his career, and before he started making feature, before Kurieta started making feature films, he was very involved in documentaries, and through the course of career, he mm. makes these very, um, you know, very humanistic, very still life, uh, you know, portraits of humanity. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah. This is his most fantastical film. Um, and the basic concept of it is that uh, um, as soon as we die, um, we go to this kind of way station in between life and death. And in this way station, we have a week to choose one memory um, in which we were going to relive for the rest of eternity. And this film uh, basically documents this process of, of um, uh, sir, uh, one of these way stations and the, the, the group that that helps helps the 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 newly deceased choose these film uh choose these um choose these memories and it uh it documents how they you know go through that process how they uh, eventually film these uh these memories and the eventual screening of these memories um i guess i probably should have mentioned earlier that uh they they recreate these memories um um by by filming them um yeah you think that's good? Yeah, that that's good. Else we looked at on. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I like. I didn't. I didn't know that this was the most fantastical film. I've, I've so I've only seen um, Shoplift, Shoplifters by Corrado, which was also mm -hmm. very very good. Um, and certainly, um, I can see a lot of the humanism from that movie, which I'm sure he carried throughout his whole career, and this one too. Um, something I really like about um, certain kinds of high concept movies are. Uh, well, the kind of concept movies I like the most are the ones that don't care at all to justify the concept. Um, because in general, I feel like that's very 
boring. You don't really do much with that. Oh, what do you what do you mean by that? Like, so like uh, spending too much time trying to explain how the concept works. So let's say like we we went into um, the logistics of how this afterlife corporation or whatever worked. Um, that's yeah. not nearly as interesting as I think what um, this movie was trying to do with yeah. the hypothetical situation that everyone was in here. Um, and I think that this film most reminded me of um, the films of Ellen René, um, specifically mm-hmm. in uh, his obsession with time and memory and, and yeah. how that all relates to cinema. So I think uh, it's very clear that in, in this movie there's a lot of um uh commentary or self-reflection about like cinema itself i mean yeah they uh, all these all these people like go and literally see their memories being filmed and then are screened them um later on which is kind of like almost as obvious as you can get um but the the great thing about this movie is that um, it definitely maintains that kind of humanism. And I think that's kind of like um, the through line to understanding this movie is focusing on um, like how, how humanistic it is. And I think that that's probably the movie I, I connect, the, the part of the movie I connect the most with. Yeah, I think I, think I, I completely agree with you. Um, this, uh, this idea we talk about like really, really... Um, uh, really like going to like the logistics of a concept um especially it's really fantastical it's, it's completely like it's completely like, ignored here um mm-hmm. uh, this kind of idea with um i i see this a lot in like a lot of asian films this idea of like uh making the uh, this like um making our relationship with death making our uh you know relationship with the afterlife very like banal um one one director i've seen this a lot is um a picture poem, what is that Yeah, for sure. Who directed uh, Uncle Boon Me and um, Tropic Melody? Melody, mm-hmm. maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, and all, all his films have this very, like, very, very realistic and a very, like, um, almost like spiritual connection. Um, especially Uncle Boon Me, mm-hmm. uh, who has like ghosts just casually hang out with it. <laughs> um, the living um, and. This kind of like this kind of like relationship, I think, is is, is also evident here, and maybe like a little bit of a different context. Um, there, there's there's a there's a there's a really poignant scene here of, um, um, uh, geez, I don't remember Shiori, the the main character, um, just walking around, uh, just walking around Japan, looking at like looking around the sights, almost like experiencing um, experiencing the world uh, that she kind of left behind. And while we're watching the sequence, we have no real sense of like the relationship between her and like the world around them. In the sense that she like a ghost, is she like floating around? Do people mm. like even realize her? And the film doesn't isn't really interested in engaging with this because I think it's 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 really um, harping on this like dynamic. Um, it's about the the feeling, yeah. not the um, the the logical side to it, which is which is like much more important. Yeah, sure, but it's also I think. Um, it, like it wants to establish this relationship to life. Um, this is a film that portrays this kind of, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced, you know, like people have like a lot of fear of like, you know, death. And then this kind of uh, maybe turns into this kind of like existential, like look at like what could possibly even happen after, after 
after we die. And this film takes that relationship and takes this kind of almost like, so it's like cosmic ex, uh, like existential fear and makes it something very familiar and very banal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that relationship is really important. Um, yeah. Um, and I think what you said about what this film does about, uh, what this film, um, it's commentary on, uh, on filmmaking is also really interesting because, um, I remember the first time I was watching it and they were like, they started, you know, filming these memories. It seemed a little bit artificial because I mean, they, they, they didn't have like a large factors. They always had mm-hmm. like really, you know, cheap special effects. Um, <laughs> you know, the scene with the clouds, you know, they had like little cotton balls on strings. Yeah. I was like, is this really, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a sense of like artificiality to it. Yeah. And at the same time, we also know that in this universe, they have access to all the videotapes of their memories. Right. Right. So, so why don't like, they just like use those? Yeah, why don't they use that? And so I think this is one of the central questions of the, in the film that the film wants you to engage with. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so getting back to... Do, have you seen anything by Alan Rene? Just so I know. I've seen Hiroshima one more. Okay. So... It's an excellent film, by the way. One of my all hasn't seen it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Rene was like always obsessed with time and memory. And he believed that cinema was very similar to reliving a memory or experiencing a dream uh, 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 kind of in, in the way that uh, it's constructed through editing um, because like uh, the neorealists for example they would never film like a one hour long unbroken shot to capture realism in order to capture realism they would need to um, do certain edits to make like an aesthetic of realism. At least that's what um, like, uh, Andre Bazan wrote about. And so I think that in order to capture something that's really real and it, like a like a real kind of feeling or memory, there needs to be some kind of artificiality behind that. Um, at least that's kind of like what I what I thought about about this example. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, sorry, go on. Yeah, um, I mean, my impression of it was that the artifact, the artificiality was just, like, it, it's it's almost like the viewer's impression of what's happening. Um, but this film does take, like, a lot of a lot of time really developing, like, a lot of time really developing, like, the stories of, like, these kind of side characters who don't even have, like, really any bearing on, like, the, the main narrative. But they, they, you really, like, see, like, like how how they talk through their like memories, you know how they remember things, um, you know their like experiences on set, like how they describe. There's there's like there's like extended sequences of them like criticizing like little aspects of like <laughs> how the set will look. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you're right in the sense that it's going for this like visceral feeling rather than like a, a literal representation. Um, in one of the scenes. Um, I'm not going to attempt to remember this guy's name, but um, one of the recent deceased uh, talks about like the plane that mm-hmm. he wanted to fly, and he was very specific about like the 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 position of the wings, and he was even saying like, oh, it doesn't even matter what the plane looks like because it was the wings that were like is like um, is what my memory is based off of, um, and then I think you can extend this to like a commentary on memories, which I think you touched upon as well. Um, is that like our, our memories aren't like like ig- accurate reflections of like what literally happened? It's only our impressions of what literally happened. You know, we always like pick apart like details that are important to us, 
Um, another really big part of this film is the um, is uh, the, one of the old films from The Lover, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? The, uh, the scene on the bench. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so this 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 this, this scene is filmed, you know, first from the back. Um, you see two people sitting on a bench, and um, the second part is uh, just a shot of. Um, uh, I should probably actually know this guy's name, Takashi, Takashi's uh, hand, right? Uh, um, I also I was name. really bad with the names throughout this movie, just because, um, <laughs> like, it, like what you were saying before, there isn't really the plot isn't really central to the movie. There's there's like all these different perspectives. It, it seems like kind of like a polyphony of voices. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I go so far to say the plot is the film, but yeah, it's certainly more of a meditation mm-hmm. on you know on life and death more than it is like um, you know necessarily uh, like a very like streamlined plot line. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're right in that aspect. But I found I found the storyline, especially the relationship between uh, Takashi and Shiori, uh, <laughs> uh, like very very poignant. Um, mm-hmm especially towards the ending. Um, yeah, I want to know, like, do you have, like, what do you think about, um, I don't know, are we, are we okay to go into, like, spoiler territory? Like, what do you think oh, yeah, don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, what do you think about their, about, what do you think about their relationship? Well, rather the ending, maybe more specifically, um, especially the final film that we were shown. Um, the final film was definitely, I think, probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, you're talking about um, Takashi's film? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that. So, so the whole concept of needing to choose one memory, and that's like the only thing that you take with you to the next life. You kind of forget everything else. Is kind of like um, it's it's kind of like a scam in, in a way because there you can't like have one single memory to be like a a microcosm for your entire life because life is like infinitely more complicated it's really it's really like the journey that's the most important thing but i think that um the memory that takashi chose takashi chose was kind of like um a way of capturing a journey because part of his memory is him alone on a bench and then there's the reverse shot to um, the camera crew and, like, the, the, the people from this, like, company or corporation or whatever um, shooting him, like, his, his co-workers. Uh, and I think, like, I guess what that represented to him was that um, the journey to finding himself he was only able to do because of uh, the people around him. And um, I guess, like, this, this afterlife opportunity that he was given. So... Hmm. I that that's why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. One like small memory, I think, even if it's your happiest memory, can never really represent your entire life. Yeah. Now that's an interesting. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thought. That was probably the the. Um, I mean, that's the one question the film starts out with you and it asks you this one question. Um, because you're essentially trying to, I mean, if you're trying to engage with this concept, you have to, you maybe try to think to yourself about, like, how you would answer this question. Like, if you were mm-hmm. to, you know, suddenly not be here anymore, or, like, what would be the one memory that you'd take, take home? I have no um, idea what mine would and be. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't answer this either. Um, but this film really, like, meditates on this question. 
the answer to one of um, one of the recent deceased basically says like he has like so much regret in life that it's not so much uh, you know the the value of choosing one memory and one memory only is is also like it's valuable because he can forget everything else and he can just right. focus like hyper focus on this one memory and that's obviously um, like not the point of uh, what this thing is doing assuming like. I mean, I don't know if I'd say I don't know if I know exactly what the point is. I think it's uh, yeah. like a really broad meditation on. Um, I I don't know if I'm in a position to say that he's wrong. You know, like because if I was in his position, I think I'd do the same thing, right? If oh, he, oh, I don't. I don't live the life full of regret. Yeah. Oh no, I don't. I don't blame him. I mean, he's just using the system yeah. to um to get the best out of it. Um, I would just assume yeah. that um whoever created this this thing, uh, God or whoever else. <laughs> Would want to uh, the people to choose like one memory to like, um, uh, be like an example for the how great like the rest of their life was, you know. But yeah, uh, like maybe, like you said, yeah. there is no like necessarily correct way of doing those. Yeah, or maybe you'd agree with the with that twenty one year old. Like you have to rethink the whole system. It doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm very much yeah, um and uh, in favor of dismantling a lot of our a lot of our systems. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know if there's a like. Uh, I know Korea that has has, um, just the way Korea has often talked about his films. I think he has a very like fatalistic perspective. On certain things, um, I know you mean? haven't. Um, like he's not necessarily examining um, the ethics of the system, or like, oh like, yeah, yeah, why the system exists in nation. Yeah, uh, I, I, why I don't the really think so. in the first place. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, if you look at Shoplifters, right, which is the film you've seen, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like that. The, the way that kind of unravels, and the way that the your family kind of. I try to be a, bit, a little bit vague about this. The family eventually collapses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like it's almost like it has to happen in a way. And I think his films often follow this like really fatalistic progression in terms of how they plot. And the value of his films is that mm. he's very good at understanding the human moments of this and and capturing them at every moment of the journey. Yeah. Um, so I think the system that's created it's not necessarily good or bad or there's like a reason for it necessarily. It just exists and. What's valuable is what we make of it, right? Yeah, oh yeah, that's definitely a sense I get, at least in this film. Um, yeah, uh, the system's supposed to be, like, neutral here. Because also, like, you know, if we go into questions of, is a system ethical, is it not? Um, for, like, a concept such as this one, it's kind of useless. Because, I mean, obviously, like, this thing doesn't exist. Yeah. It's supposed <laughs> to be kind of like a, like a hypothetical to get the interesting... Um, Mm-hmm. questions about you know life and stuff like that going yeah exactly um but i think also i'm trying to remember exactly yeah one of the things you said about how like one moment can capture the rest of our lives um i mean he he talks about that um that's something uh takashi talks about at the very end of the film mm-hmm. um, um because uh you know the worry about like only choosing one memory is that everything around uh, around you doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, one of the one of the characters. Okay, I'm gonna quickly look through just so I get this. <laughs> Ichiro. Okay. Yeah, I- Ichiro. He's the old man who um, who had who had who um, whose wife was a uh, Takashi's like lover earlier on. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and he like if you look through his old videotape, one of the things he was really obsessed about was like leaving his mark on the world, right? And, mm-hmm. You know. 
uh, proving that he existed in a way. And, and in a way, if we choose only one memory, um, everything outside of that ceases to exist for us, right? Yeah. And this was a, a this was a point that was later on, like examined in the film, um, specifically with uh, Shiori's like um, worry about when Shiori's worry about like Takashi, um, because she was she was under the impression that he was going to choose like that one memory with a. Uh, with his uh, with his like love interest earlier on, mm-hmm. um, and that would mean she doesn't exist in his life anymore, and that's what she was worried about. Right. So the film, of course, kind of subverts this in a way, and the reason it's effective is because um, the memory uh, what, what Takashi says at the end uh, um, is that he'll never forget them because this memory, the reason this memory is so crucial, is because it encapsulates like everything in my life. And everything in my life has led up to this memory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in a way, it does kind of like um, captures whole life. And, yeah, you know. yeah. I think he's like maybe the only one of the entire movie that's able to create a movie that uh, create a uh, like a, a memory that's that's able to capture his own life. Um, because I mean, if we think yeah. about it, his whole life has really been just working in this afterlife clinic. Um, he only died at like. Uh, what like 20 22 or something 22. like that yeah 22 yeah um and so like really like his whole development as a person i think happened more so in the clinic yeah but yeah also i think what also makes it poignant is that relationship he has with shiori because mm-hmm. we get the sense that shiori she's just like i mean she died and she essentially had her life just taken away from her yeah um and we see this kind of how she like moves around and how she sometimes kind of neglects certain things Mm-hmm. Um, the the big example, of course, is when she went out to take pictures, and she didn't even take any pictures of the bamboo, and she just took pictures of the life around her. Yeah, and I mean, this is almost like emblematic of like everything that she like lost, you know. And now mm-hmm. she's like kind of forced to live here. Um, but in a sense, she made uh, you know she made a life for for herself here, um, and this is like her new family now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually like uh, if you watch more of Corietta's filmography. You know, which I hope you do. Oh, definitely, yeah. I, um, I definitely want to dive deeper into him soon. Yeah, he definitely explores, like, these kind of, like, um, odd, like, family units. Um, of course, the big example is shoplifters. Like, everybody in shoplifters is not related by blood, <laughs> but they still they still form, like, a cohesive family. You know, right. Cohesive in quotes, but, you know. <laughs> uh, some, a family unit, nonetheless. And this kind of exists here. Um, in the most like unexpected places, and I think that's also what's really poignant about not just this film, but like a lot of other creative films. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, you're definitely right. I see that. I see that connection to shoplifters now too. Um, there, there is something uh, more than just people living in the same room. There, there is like kind of like a family there. Yeah. And um, I mean, uh, one of the characters who like, I'm not gonna try to look his name up, but he, uh, the reason he's like uh, staying is because for his daughter, he wants to like uh, fulfill that father role. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way, there's that that I I, I wouldn't say that he he's a father to Shiori because there's no, <laughs> it's way too far fetched. But yeah, there's that like um, you know there's that there's that dynamic there's that sense there. Um, there they have like a little bit of um, they they have a little bit of an argument there. Um, where yeah, where she, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but Shuri essentially like yells at him that the reason she is how she is is because she doesn't have a father figure, which is exactly like what um, that guy like kind of um, did on his daughter, right? Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, I remember that scene. Um, 
Doesn't have, they don't have to be related by blood. The thing I think that's that's yeah. uh, that's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, I would like to go a bit into um, what this film does on like cinematic self reflection. It's like it's kind yeah. of like commentary on cinema because I think that's Please kind of <laughs> like what I what I found the most interesting about it. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen um, Suicide Club? I have uh, seen Suicide Club. Okay, yes, by, by, that's by, um, <laughs> Sorry, like it's gonna be twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, yeah. The the whole there was something about the theater in this movie that reminded me of the ending of Suicide Club, when they're also like mm-hmm. kind of like brought into a theater, and it because in kind of like how it seems so like disconnected from the rest of the experience in a way. Um, like I don't I'm know. I'm trying to remember. Um, what you're talking about okay so at the very end of suicide club um like the main character goes into a theater that like reveals most of the conspiracy behind mm-hmm. like the whole thing do they have the young kids clapping yes the this is the scene yes. right? okay yeah, now, yeah, yeah. okay i know what you're um and i think that like with what, what sono for sure there's a lot of like um uh commentary on cinema and mm-hmm. um like self-reflection so I, I found like a kind of a connection there uh to this movie and what this movie does specifically um with i think what you're saying before with the artificiality i find very interesting um and it's kind of saying how um like we know everything in a movie is fake when we see it but despite that we allow it to like take over our emotions and 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 for like certain people to kind of like control our lives I mean, I would, I would, I would certainly say that like, cinema mm-hmm. more or less uh, like controls my entire life. I kind of just like revolve around. It. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. while and and um, while while knowing that it's all artificial at the same time. Yeah. Hmm. Suicide Club. I'm trying to make that connection. Um, <laughs> yeah, Suicide Club was um. I just thought the theater was just like this um. Okay, I don't, I don't understand suicide. I don't know if I totally understand. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't understand suicide, suicide club at all. Um, I, I was kind of like trying to. Um, yeah, I think maybe it with a, like how more... weird it was and how how like it it seems like so out of place. I think for, for yeah, maybe movie. a more interesting or okay, maybe I shouldn't say more interesting, but I think for me that makes more sense. <laughs> is uh, why don't you play in hell? Have you seen this one? Yeah, that one's really good. Yeah, because that's a direct like commentary on uh, on cinema, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's about these guys who are so obsessed with like filmmaking that it almost like transcends like any like practical like <laughs> concern that they have, right? Yeah, they get like way too involved with like the yakuza, and then they. All right, I'm not going to say what happens at the end of that film, but you see what I mean by that, right? Definitely, definitely go watch. Why don't you play in Healthy Island already? It's yeah, that's a that's a crazy film. That's my that's actually my brother's my younger brother's favorite film. So that's a great pick. Like he would if he was here, he'd recommend it like a hundred times over. I saw it with a friend uh, Joe. He's been on the podcast before, and he said that this movie mm-hmm. is basically just eight and a half for Chad's, and I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, getting back to to Afterlife. Um, I, I don't know. There, there is some kind of relationship between artificiality, memory, and cinema that that kind of like makes sense in my head, but I, I can't mm-hmm. exactly like put it into words. Yeah, you mentioned Alan Rene, but I think a more uh, somebody who really wrote a lot about this was uh, Tarkovsky, Andrei Tarkovsky. 
Yeah, specifically um, time for sure. Um, yeah, time yeah. sculpting and time. Yeah, um, that's sculpting time is a really. I'm not like a. I'm not a film major, but sculpting time is a really like, really important book for me. Um, oh, it's amazing. In terms of viewing his like uh, perspective on how, how like cinema, like you're literally talking about like memories. Like this was this was like, this was a massive. This was a really important part to uh, sculpting the time. He was talking about how, um, how we relive memories memories um mm-hmm. and how that reflects on how we uh film things um, um uh, yeah so th- that would yeah. be an interesting connection between <laughs> yeah for sure um and so for memories specifically i think the way that it relates to cinema is um at least in my, the way i understand it um for memories like you mentioned before the strongest thing is the feeling and i think that yeah, yeah cinema's the most successful movies are not those that try to be objective but those that kind of like rely mostly on like feeling and emotion to express something um as as much as cinema can distance itself from the literal the better there's definitely i think this um uh well, mis- yeah, misinterpretation. to an extent of course, but... to an extent, of course yeah <laughs> uh this and this, this is also more of a personal thing but i think that there is a uh a misunderstanding of cinema being this kind of like objective art because it, it captures reality as it mm-hmm. should be, or as, as it is. But in reality, um, it's only a representation of that reality, and you, know, you always have to consider who's filming the camera, at what time, for what reason. There's always some kind of like subjectivity mm-hmm. behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cinema is always like an omniscient observer. Um, yeah. You know? There's kind of a reason we really like, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I really like horror movies. Yeah. You know? Well, at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily want to live in those horror movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's always like there's always that aspect of being secondary observer um, to films. Um, yeah, and I, was, I think I, I think that I don't know how that plays into this movie. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, I guess going back to this, the only way to really relive a memory besides literally doing that, which is impossible, is I think to make a, a film out of it. Yeah, um, that was one of my favorite parts of this film was watching them like almost relive their memories um mm-hmm. i'm not sure how like i'm actually not i probably should have looked this up i'm not sure how how that how that production process would went I, I mean it's entirely possible that Corietta just found people on the street and asked them what their like biggest memory was and put them on film uh, i was actually meaning to look that up before <laughs> I mean, it could be possible i don't i don't yeah. actually i don't uh, actually know if that's the case <laughs> but i, I, was, I mean it, it very much well could have been because um uh, you know, a lot of them, it feels like really genuine, like their reactions, mm-hmm. yeah. just how like this little details that they like think about and just how they process these details. You know? mm. Just like these like minor things. Like I'll just, I'll just say just a random example for the film. The guy was like talking about, um, he was reliving this memory of he, that he had on a bus and they were asking about details on the bus and he was like, I don't know if that's important. Well, I guess that's important. It's almost like, <laughs> like, uh, like almost like in real time showing the process of how he's like thinking about this memory. Yeah. Um, and then you see like what's, you know, like how almost like these like minor things build up to like, uh, like a grander picture of like why this memory is so important to him. Yeah. And actually that, that's um, a great jumping off point that, that reminds me of uh, something I was going to say earlier. Um, so, uh, like you said, um, for, for this memory and like a lot of memories, um, in this movie, what's actually like, what's actually happening, um, 
objectively, so, like, I don't know, the color of the bus, the details inside the bus, isn't so important so much as, like, what that memory means to the person who has that memory. And cinema kind of does the same thing in, um, you would never really want to unless, you know, you're a edgy, slow cinema filmmaker. I'm kidding. But unless you're, like, a slow cinema maker, you, you, never, you never want to really, like, film like a, a still camera shot of, of, of like a tripod still camera shot of something for like an hour without like any editing um because <laughs> you said empire man <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> my favorite movie <laughs> uh oh that, that's an amazing movie i've definitely not seen the whole thing <laughs> um but oh, you uh, don't understand empire i don't i don't come, it, come they, the they, cinephile. <laughs> they they showed the entire thing in my 245 and then everyone walked out and i'm kidding <laughs> No. I think the point. I think the point of Empire. This is a complete, complete tangent. But the point of Empire for me is not the is not watching it. It's just like the fact that it exists. You know, because oh, okay, that movie yeah. like pisses people off more than any other movie that I know. Like, people really hate that one. You know, a movie is. But I like, think that's it, part of the art form. You know. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> you know, a movie is like good or valuable if it pisses people off, and that's kind of like all of like Andy Warhol's shtick in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's like the reaction to it is part of the art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, or like, I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but yeah, definitely like the reaction is, is more important sometimes than the art itself. But um, the point of what I was saying earlier was um, you need some kind of editing or you need some kind of like through line to kind of understand this objectivity and to make it subjective. Be, to make it like personal mm-hmm. you can't have like really a yeah. personal connection with um what could quote unquote be considered like objectively filming something um and this is this is specific for uh non slow cinema or like non museum installation pieces i'm sure there's like many exceptions to this like chantal ackerman for example does this a lot mm-hmm. um in like jean dilman but that's like like for like a very specific artistic purpose um, but for like yeah. the most part, um, the individual details don't really matter. Um, and I know that like, um, when, when early cinema, uh, was first screened, a lot of critics at the time could, didn't really view it. So it could never really be an art form because it is just like capturing reality. It's just like capture, capturing like objectivity. Think about like the Lumiere mm-hmm. films example, uh, for example, they're just like 50 seconds of like people walking or a train coming what they didn't know is that a lot of those were staged which is funny but um they were kind of right to a certain extent like they were kind of begging for editing to kind of like see like the the craft of 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 a creator um to to express like some kind of a like a feeling or idea not just you know capturing reality as it is so i think that uh tying it back to this movie um yeah, like the only the only way to kind of relive a memory is not to uh, get all the details right, get it objectively. The thing about the plane, I think, was really um, a good example of that. How um, you would think that the body of a plane would be important to someone's memory if someone has like a great memory about this plane, but yeah, the reality was he only cared about like the shape of the wings. Um, and because like those wings for some reason or another, I mean, we can never really, never really know, like we're, we're, we're really like profound to him. Um, so yeah, the details mm-hmm. like don't really matter. Yeah. But I mean, also this film says something about editing. The, the one film that 
well, because both films that we were able to experience, um, that we were able to actually see as an audience ourselves, um, really like uh, utilized editing. You talked about the the shot reverse shot of, yep. the, of Takashi's film at the end. Yeah. But also the film we saw before it um, of Takashi's Lover. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see them in the back. We also get, actually get to see uh, her face and we also get to see Takashi's hand. And of course, this is like, um, okay, this is a little bit out of my depth, but I assume, I think this is something I just talked about editing is, uh, you know, um, kind of contextualizing images with other images, right? Um, and the relationship between each edit. Um, yeah, it gives it that meaning, right? Yeah, so like Eisenstein, uh, briefly for those that didn't know, talked about um, uh, conflict um, in, in, in editing. So he would present uh, like two images um, that would seem to be in conflict with each other. And in the cut is when something would spark inside the mind of a viewer. So for example, for the first image would be a cross and then he would cut to a sword. Um, and even though like these are two distinct images that don't really have any relation to each other, in the mind of the viewer, it would it would mean something like religion is violent, right? Um, yeah. that, that's an example from Potemkin, for example. And yeah, um, and and uh, these you can never really create a memory, I think, uh, without some kind of an, some kind of editing, because um, yeah, I mean, if you were just if 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 if, um, if you were to try to recreate a memory in um, like the real time that it took place. Uh, there'd be a lot of like stuff that doesn't really matter to that memory inside of it, um, and that's where I think where cinema comes in. Cinema can really maybe be the only medium to capture that kind of memory because it has that editing. You can get as specific as possible, and you don't need to like dig into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of um, all the unnecessary details. Yeah, and also cinema is good at capturing like the context of time. Right, you really get to understand. Um, I mean, I think yeah. this is really the value of slow cinema. Yep, because it's so similar. You really understand like the relation of every moment to the next, right? Um, right. Yeah, Tarkovsky you know, wrote about I that. I think editing. Um, yeah, sorry, Tarkovsky wrote about that on switching of time. Um, he said that uh, ultimately people go to cinema to experience time. That's true. That he did write that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was wondering. <laughs> I was trying to piece. Yeah, but um, yeah, experiencing time. Yeah, because that that's probably the value of cinema is that you get to. Um, you know, like why, why, why watch a film rather than uh, read the plot synopsis, right? You get to experience right. the time, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I love I love slow cinema. I've been I've been kind of like obsessed with slow cinema for a while now. Um, ever since getting it there, Tarkovsky, like all those years back, um, it, it's certainly like an interesting thing to go down. Um, yeah, yeah, I recently watched um, Simon Young's. Um, um, like, um, Vive L'Amour, I think. Vive L'Amour, it's called. Mm, I need to see that D'Amour. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but that one really, like, you, um, there's, there's really just extended shots of just, like, a character experiencing an emotion, um, especially, like, the ending shot. I'm not gonna, I'll be a little bit vague about that, but you'll know what I mean when you see it. <laughs> I can't um, wait. And you're just, you get, like, it's every moment to the next, you know, and then that, like, um, just experiencing in real time. Like, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of value to it. Um, yeah. And there's certain films that you really see that with. Um, yeah, of course, Tarkovsky is a great example. I mean, Stalker, he really, like, he was, he literally said with Stalker, like, he wanted the audience to experience, like, that excruciating, like, length of that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, about Stalker specifically, one of the producers said that he should, like, cut down the scene when they enter the zone. I don't know if you remember that. 
Um, like when they're like on the trolley. I haven't heard about them. Oh no, I mean yeah, I know the scene. Okay, okay. And just um, said that. And Tarkovsky said, "I'm actually going to make it longer so that everyone who thinks that it's too long will have left the theater by then." <laughs> Based, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that man. <laughs> um, yeah. I have you seen um Stray Dogs by Simon Lang? Um, no, it's on my. I've only this is actually the only scene. Oh, the reason okay. I'm mentioning it because I was thinking to myself, it's like, based on like, I love also um, Ho Xiao Shen, and mm, when we go into I, our like top twenty-five list, I'll I have two of his films on there. Actually, you've been you've been um, um, hyping up from he've been hyping him up for me ever since like I met you, and like I still haven't seen anything by him because like impossible to find. I really want to start getting yeah, into it soon. Yeah, and I felt that way with uh, Simon Nang because it's mm. like all these directors um, that I've watched like around Simon uh, Simon Nang that I've really. Um, Mm. Um, uh, have you seen anything by Edward Yang by any chance? Yeah, I've seen um, Brighter Summer Day. I think that's it. Brighter Summer Day, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Um, four hours, but well worth it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he, another yeah, that, great film by him. Yeah, I think it's um, he was. He is also also found its way onto like uh, on sight and sounds like favorite films of the twenty first century a few years back. Um, mm. It's like it got like second place there, so. It's not only my opinion. <laughs> Everyone loves this movie. <laughs> I, need, I definitely need to check that one out soon. Uh, Young is definitely another film I need to deep dive. But um, yeah, the reason I brought up mm-hmm. Stray Dogs is because I think it does a lot of what you were saying that uh, Viva La Lamour does. It's, so I, I need to count the amount of shots in that movie because I swear to God, it's probably like... <laughs> count in one hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could probably count them in one hand. Uh, maybe two. <laughs> but yeah, no, like that, that movie is, is kind of like the entire movie is just like long takes with, with a still camera and it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, so it's such a great experience and one I wish I saw in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> so my point with that, um, the point I was trying to make with that signing now is that I've seen so many like Ho Xiao Shen films, Edward Yang films, um, and a lot of these like Taiwanese new wave guys. And I'd never seen anything about signing now. So it was like one of those films that like, I was always like asking myself, like, why haven't I seen this? This is like <laughs> right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm sure you have that too. Like, there's just oh like some yeah. some directors that you just some films that you just haven't seen. So many. Um, um, <laughs> that's just like how am I? How do I call myself like a cinephile? And I haven't seen this, you know? <laughs> I've been planning on like making a list for a while of like directors I'm embarrassed have not seen anything from, and it'll probably be like a yeah. fifty like director list or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean. If you go through my like like Reddit account, um, like the most embarrassing things is just me like recommending movies that I haven't seen myself. Just talking about like, oh yeah, you should definitely watch, you know, like uh, all this uh, Lavdia stuff. You know, I've seen all of it, of course. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favorite Lavdia's movie? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> let me look at his filmography. <laughs> sort by average rating. Like, yeah, oh, that one's great. Oh dude, I, I really want to get into him soon, but like. Some of those movies are like fucking like ten hours. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch Christ. Nort, The End of History, which is like his most po- according to Letterboxd, his most popular movie, mm. and it's only four hours. So maybe okay. I can. Yeah, that's not <laughs> for him. That's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. For anyone watching who doesn't know who loved you, it's like a, probably like the most prominent Filipino uh, Filipino filmmaker, especially if you're looking in the international scene. Um, and like all his movies are like minimum like four four and a half hours. Oh yeah. Um, but people say they're good, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely want to check one of his things out soon. But I think that for for movies that are really long like that, I always try to save them for like a theater experience. Um, 
I think I think Live Diaz probably I think his new movie came out either this year or next. And I really hope that plays at like a local art house film, um, theater near 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 me. So I think yeah. that like, um, I've noticed this with slow cinema more much so than any like other kind of film. You need to like watch those in a theater environment to get like the most out of them. Mm. Or um, try to like simulate it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned. I think what I think is great about the theater environment is that you have this like collective ability that you experience with a lot of audiences unfortunately yeah. all my experiences with slow cinema have been with like two other people in the theater but you know you <laughs> yeah. take what you can get <laughs> what have you seen in theaters um, uh for slow cinema oh well the one i, I mean this isn't well i saw gi junko's new film or rather this was the newest a few years ago um the um wow why am i forgetting the name i think of all his other films but uh it's his. It's his. Uh, I, I think you've seen this one too. It's his it's, most recent one. Uh, Ashes Pierce. I have White. to look it up. Yeah, Ashes Pierce White. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot that name. Judge Echo is <laughs> one of my favorite directors, and I forgot <laughs> the name. It's like this was probably who. Yeah, I saw that one in theaters. Mm. Um, that was kind of cool. There was like a, there was like a bunch of old ladies sitting next to me, and they were like asking me what the point of the film was after they watched it. <laughs> and I was like trying to make something up because I wasn't at that time. I had seen like I hadn't seen that many either mm. uh, of Judge Echo films either. Um, I was just trying to sound smart. But that was cool. That was like a cool experience. I also saw mm. um, uh, Gandhi's um, Long Day's Journey Tonight, which oh I know you have God. on your list. Oh we should talk about, we could talk that, about that later. That is... Incredible that movie. That yeah. movie that's, that's like one of my favorite movies of... of, of I specifically Gandhi. saw that in 3D. Uh, Same. Because <laughs> it was like... Yeah, you saw that too. Oh, that's, Holy shit. Because I knew that was going to be like a one-time experience that you're never going to be able to like yeah. see again. I think that's a great um, example of a movie. Had I seen that at home, I probably would have like liked it, but not really thought about it again. But the fact that I saw that movie like twice in theaters, twice because I loved it so much in three D. Uh, holy shit! Oh. <laughs> that was that's like honestly one of the greatest theatrical experiences in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I saw. Um, you've seen have you seen Kylie Blues? Yes. Yeah, Kylie Blues. Kylie Blues. I saw at home in my yeah. on my little laptop. <laughs> it's 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 not the same thing at all. No, like, like it, it was it wasn't yeah. disappointing. I don't really want to like mark the film down because I didn't get a seat in the theater. But it certainly wasn't the same experience. I feel like uh, I think so. The Kylie Blues ends with like I think a forty minute or so long take. Um, that probably yeah. would have looked so much better had I seen that on the big screen. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Although I I got to say when I first. Kylie Blues, like even on my little laptop, that movie blew me away. I didn't even realize there was like a four, half an hour. Wait, they haven't cut yet. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? That's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah, and Long Day's Journey tonight, for anyone listening, um, they really like uh, step it up. They Not only is it an hour long, which takes up about like half the runtime, yeah. um, it's all in 3D. <laughs> yep. Um, and yeah. Uh, we could talk about that later because it's on your list. Yeah, sure, okay. sure. I quickly looked at your list. We'll Should we that. transition to that? I think we've stopped talking about it. Sure, uh, yeah. Um, any, um, actually, any final thoughts on this movie? <laughs> um, well, first of all, see it, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And really quick, not so much a final thought, but uh, something I looked up. We were talking about the production of this movie, and I just found a, a yeah. quick thing that, that, that I found very interesting. So apparently, uh, Coretta interviewed more than 500 people um mm. for uh for like the memories segment and the film actually has a lot of real footage from these interviews in 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 the actual movie but it's actually interspliced with 
um, acting, some based on improvisation, some on a specific script. So you don't really know yeah. like which of it, which of these are like actual memories. I, I think you can get not. an idea though, because if you look yeah. back at some scenes, and I mean, even knowing that they're improvised, I think adds some weight to them because like, yeah, this is like based on their own memories. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I just found that interesting because like I, I had no idea. I. I couldn't tell if some of them were real or not. And it doesn't really matter, you know? It's kind of like um, Kurostami's whole shtick. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of, like, close-up, where he, where he really, like, destroys the line between um, feature and documentary in that movie. Um, yeah. Another one is uh, Act of Killing, an interesting one. Mm, <laughs> Have you yeah, seen that one? I love it. It's so yeah. good. Definitely, like, one yeah, of the best in, documentaries. Yeah, in Act of Killing, he, um, the whole premise of that is that all these, like, um, these basically in- Indonesians who uh, basically slaughtered like um, uh, all these leftists. Um, oh, geez, I don't know much about Indonesian history. <laughs> um, I think this was just, uh, during the Suharto. Suharto. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it was like in the sixties, like a genocide of a bunch of communists, right? Yeah, and so all these people. Um, yeah, yeah, Suharto. Okay, I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think. Um, yeah, Suharto was uh, was like um, he was uh, like the, the military president of Indonesia up until uh, you know, 1998. Um, mm-hmm. And during this time, there was this like very like brutal um, uh, like killing, I guess, <laughs> very brutal like. Uh, uh, it was a genocide. Killings, yeah, just a genocide. I don't know. Gen- genocide like is is like ethnic, but this was against leftist communists. Yeah. Or I, I assume anybody who you know. If somebody pointed at you and called you a communist, you'd probably get killed. It was like yeah. very, it was very brutal, and so um, this this film, Active Killing, um, all these people, all these people are still like around, and they're just like hanging out, like they never prosecuted for the crimes. And so this film, Active Killing, uh, goes into Indonesia and asks these people who like perpetuate these uh, who uh, who did these killings uh, to reenact some of their scenes, and you see how they like reflect on their 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 lives on their kind of like war crimes, mm-hmm. um, I guess. Um, yeah, and there's a I guess the companion piece of that one, the look of silence, mm-hmm. which is then um, the director showing these films to the victims of this, um, or rather the the family of the victims more accurately of these killings. Um, yeah, very like one of the, I think one of the most essential documents, the 2010s. Um, oh, 100. percent I mean, I would say like in the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Something I found um, interesting about Active Killing is how they never actually show you the completed film that they make inside of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, they only show certain scenes and, like, um, mostly the production process. Because, like, ultimately, I think what what they're trying to say is that, like, the final film isn't so important. Because, I mean, it's that is, like, ultimately very artificial. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just, like, yeah, the creation of that was, like, more important. But, yeah, that that, was an absolutely amazing documentary. It's definitely, like, one of the movies I hold closest to my heart. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and speaking okay, of, I'll movies, just say one quick. Yeah, go ahead. I'll say one quick thing about Afterlife, and then we should. I think we should move on to Sounds the. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that you said that there, this was based on a lot of interviews because Korea basically started off as a documentarian, and for like mm. I think about a decade, he filmed nothing but documentaries for uh, Japanese TV, and so that gave him like. Um, there's some clips of them you can find on YouTube. They're in pretty poor quality, but if you're like fascinated with this director, I mean, like I am, um, you can really see that that sense of like his like humanism and how he like tries to like connect with people through images um, really early on. Mm. And this has been kind of like uh, 
you know this this process through his whole career um um i you know of course i highly recommend this movie um i'm a little bit biased Korea is my is probably my favorite working director right now um but i recommend this movie um uh um, basically all his films essentially there's a few movies that aren't as strong but i think definitely mabarossi his first feature film um also if you like ho Xiao shen if you've seen any of his films mabarossi is very very like strongly influenced by ho Xiao shen's films um mm. it's a very uh, a very beautiful film afterlife of course we we've already talked at length you should definitely see it definitely. um um later on nobody knows uh, nobody knows is one of these um yeah, it, nobody knows really. I think what Korea can achieve as a filmmaker because the the premise of nobody knows is that there is, it's essentially child abandonment, and you're following these kids who have essentially been abandoned from their mother. But Korea that has like such like such strong empathy for his characters that this never like turned into a moralistic tale. You're essentially just watching kids, uh, you know, a bunch of young kids, you know, trying to create a, a family unit, like I mentioned earlier, a recurring theme in Korea films, and trying to like grow up and not kind of not being able to and it's a very like it's a very difficult film to get get through but i, I promise you it's like a very rewarding film and we're still walking yeah very famous shoplifters yeah. um our wish um uh, like father like son i think all these films are really incredible and you know i think even if you, you're not as moved at them as i am i think it's like you know i, I find it hard that people won't like like these because they're just like they're so universal in a way um, if I'm being honest, so, yeah. one of the reasons why I haven't done a deep dive in Korea yet is because it seems like he just has too many good movies. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's okay. very, like, intimidating to kind of, like, know where to start with. But it seems like, um, like, any of these would be, would be a good, like, jumping off point after this. Yeah. Um, but something, something I want to go back to that you said earlier, which I found very interesting, was, um, how he started in documentary. Um, because... Uh, this film actually reminded me a lot of an early documentary short by uh, Krzysztof Pusowski, the director of Three Colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, have you seen anything by him? Uh, I've seen Three Colors trilogy. Gotcha. Um, but I mentioned earlier that... Oh, I mentioned to you privately that I didn't see, I didn't see Decalogue. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Yet I call myself a cinephile. <laughs> <laughs> by that logic, I don't think anyone would be a cinephile. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he made this documentary called Talking Heads, and the concept was, of that mm-hmm. was um, he interviews people from all stages of life, starting from one year old to like a hundred year old. So he goes like mm-hmm. one year old, two year old, three year old, etc. Um, he interviews them like chronologically based off of uh, how old they are, um, and he asks them two questions: What is your name, and like what do you desire out of life? And um, the reason it reminded me a lot of afterlife is because um in the same way that like afterlife asks like the 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 people that come to die to choose like one memory uh these people in um talking heads have to kind of like summarize their their entire like being through just like answering one question like what what do you want out of life Mm -hmm. which is like not something that you could really answer um in full i don't i don't think like anyone can really conceive of like answering that that question in full so um definitely check out check that out it's really good um and there seems to be like a lot of um directors that started in um oh oh i forgot to mention um another reason why i saw the connection was because i feel like klisowski is a very like humanistic filmmaker also yeah of course definitely um and I guess I don't really see this so much in Pareto's films, but 
I, I find, like, Klazowski's films to be very spiritual. Um, kind of like um, Abichichan Urasuko, like we mentioned earlier. Um, uh, wait, say that again. Uh, I, I I can never pronounce his name correctly. Apichichan. Oh, Pong Yes. Yeah. Him. I had his I had his <laughs> last name as my password for a long time, so I remember all the syllables. <laughs> That's a good idea. I should try doing that. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I'd recommend that. Um. So, shall we move on to our submissions Hell for yeah, the issue pictures? <laughs> all right. This um, is our yeah. Since do you how your, do you how do you define yourself as a you know like, yeah films you know <laughs> uh, do you have yours pulled up already? Yeah, so, yeah. Um yeah I've had my pulls up for a while pulled cool. up for a while. Uh, since you're the guest, you can go ahead first. Yeah, do you just want to go like one by one because it's like twenty five or um, just want to? It's up to you. You can <laughs> so you can touch on like a couple. I mean, you can just like list them all and then we can go into depth into like a few of them. I mean, okay, I'll just I'll sort them by uh, newest. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about sure. um, I don't, I, yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll just start with a, uh, my first, my, my most recent light. Um, I expect you've seen this one, right? <laughs> uh, sorry, you could have for a sec. Which one did you say? Uh, my, my, my first pick is in Moonlight, uh, 2016, Barry Jenkins yes. uh, directed. I have seen that one. Um, yeah, this is a little bit of like, yeah, I, I guess I mentioned earlier, like reflections, you know, us as like film watchers, um, this is definitely part of that. This was like a, this. I I saw this movie in like a very, you know, important. Well, you know, important uh, important for me as like somebody who like uh, engages with films. But like it really like uh, changed my perspective on like how to how to view uh, how to view cinema. Um, mm. I this was in yeah this came out in twenty twenty sixteen. I saw this in twenty seventeen. At the time, I was. Uh, I, I was uh, I was in Finland, right? Which is a country in Scandinavia. Um, <laughs> I, just want to I don't know if I should mention that. I mean, people people have people have asked me about that. Really, <laughs> Finland? Oh, where's that? That's funny. Isn't that like isn't that in Canada or something? Do you know about that whole meme know, about how like Finland know. isn't a real country on Reddit? Oh yeah, no, I'm very familiar. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, um, we had a school project, which is essentially anything we want to do as long as we spend like a certain amount of hours on it. Anybody who took the IB knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and essentially, my project was um, I, at this point I was already like um, I was already like really into movies, um, and I had decided to watch as many films as I could that year, and then rank Hell them, yeah. and then write like a, try to write a, as as detailed of a review as I could about each one of them. Um, and so I, I ended up with a top 50 and I remember, and this was, this was like a really like eye opening experience for me because, um, by just like exploring all these random movies that were just li- listed on like, like all these like a uh, critic list that I had never heard of. You know, I, I heard about, you know, uh, I watched the Cemetery of Splendor. I don't know if you've seen that, but that was, not yet. that was like completely like blew my mind in terms of like what I could do. I saw Gone Bees film Kylie Blues, which I, I mean, mm. is one of my favorite films of the year. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone else. Um, that was like really big. Uh, oh yeah, Jia uh, Junko. Um, mm. uh, I still like got to get more into his stuff. I've only seen yeah. um some of his newer things. I love yeah. A Touch so of he, Sin, and uh, I did. I oh, think Touch of Sin, yeah. Yeah, I should pierce. Yeah, that's uh, the, the the movie that came out in 20, 
20 this was this was in 2015 but i counted it as 2016 just because it you know it festival circuit in 2015 but it was mm. it was mountains made to part and it was like a it was told it was told in three parts um kind of following the um the the the, the life of um uh i mean i don't know i don't remember her, her, her character name but uh jell uh Jiao Tao, who plays a who's kind of like um i mean it's it's his wife and um I mean, it's a uh, okay. It's Jia Junko's wife, and she plays in like all his movies. Oh, it just follows her through I don't like. Know that she was um, his wife. Just, yeah, it, it it follows through three section uh, through three sections of her life. And actually, what's interesting about that film is that the very first part of that film was filmed like twenty years ago, apparently. Um, huh. And then, they, so it's like almost like a like filmed filmed with like, her too. Like oh yeah, and I mean she's been in his like every film. Huh. Like I think. Um, okay, yeah, I think what I said was true. Although I read that fact of trivia like six years ago, but maybe it's not true. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> most most of them, ninety nine percent of them. <laughs> okay, so yeah. no, no, I, I meant to say that whether it was true whether they filmed it like twenty years ago. I think oh, that's true. Okay, gotcha. um, okay, I, I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to I'm going off on a. But the point <laughs> is that I, I've discovered all these filmmakers. This was like an opportunity before this. Um, I remember, like, 2014, I was, like, in love with Whiplash. I was like, this is the greatest movie ever. And then the next year, I was like, oh, Mad Max Fury Road is the greatest movie ever. Which <laughs> I think, you know, I still really like these movies, but they're, they're kind of based on, like, my really limited perspective of, like, what film could be. Yeah. Um, and so exposing yourself to, like, all these like, films, and especially, like, a young age, and even not being able to, like, fully understand all of them, but just, like, you know, embracing some ideas and trying to embrace some ideas, um, I think that was really, like, eye-opening for me. Um, but strangely the biggest discovery for me was moonlight um mm. and it was something that you know like a lot of these films um i felt like uh, i i honestly felt like you know i feel like an outside because observing like another world right but you're not like necessarily involved in it um and that was that was kind of my my and and it, there's like a there's certain there's something fascinating about that but that, not like it, it, it <laughs> I'm thinking the worst to explain this. Well, you know what I mean. Like you're not, you're not, you're not like immediately involved in something. You just, you're just kind of an outside observer. You can't like really connect to like every aspect. You can kind of just observe it from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that part is really fascinating. Um, and I mean, I still think of Kylie Blues that way. Um, and I still like love that movie. Mm. Um, but with Moonlight, it was completely different because like um, I completely like connected with this character. And for me, I was really? living in Finland, you know, I was like a white guy living in Finland. And I was watching a movie about like this, this poor black kid in, in Atlanta, you know, who was gay. Right. Um, and I, 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 I was, I mean, it was, it was that what I connected with was that search for identity when, you know, that like the world kind of doesn't, you know, doesn't like subscribe to it. Right. I mean, me living in Finland, um, I, I felt this in a way because I mean, I'm not finished myself. I was just, I was there as an international student and you kind of, you don't really, um, <laughs> you know, you're kind of an outsider for the most part. And it's kind of difficult to find like an identity for yourself when you're kind of viewed as an other by like everyone else mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and so I really connected to this film in like a very deep way. And this was like one of those early films that, that like, you know, made me realize like the kind of actual like emotional and visceral potential of like dramatic films. Um, and that was something I didn't understand before. Yeah, Moonlight. I remember in that year I saw Moonlight 
five, six times. I showed it to my oh, parents. Wow. Huh. They hated it, which made me love it even more. <laughs> um, but since then, I think since that year, I haven't seen it once. And I'm kind of afraid to rewatch it because I feel like that that power, that magic that I saw um, that first time is going to be lost on me. Yeah, um, I, I feel that same way yeah. for a lot of my favorite movies. Uh, certainly, yeah. some of the ones you mentioned earlier uh, are in that category, like Whiplash and Mad Max Fury yeah. Road. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Whiplash I also haven't seen. Yeah, I, I remember seeing Whiplash. Because I was thinking, it's like, oh, it's intense, but it's like about something boring. Like, and it's like, wow, that's... How yeah. can movies do this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It but, is, I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like if I watched it now... I mean, I don't think it'll be like as interesting to me. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, I, I rewatched it like uh, like a few years ago, but it's, it's definitely like been, been a while. Yeah, yeah. All right, you want to go with uh, your most recent pick? <laughs> sure. Um, so my most recent pick is, I guess it's Burning, um, and... Well, Burning came in 2018, right? You, isn't it a long date? Yeah. Or am I wrong? To... Uh, at least, according to Letterboxd, <laughs> it's, it's Burning. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, because, okay, never mind. Yeah. I'm going to set anything. Well, uh, well, we can go into both. There's no, there, we, we have no, uh, time constraints unless you do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, sure, I guess we were, we were talking a bit about Long Day's Journey tonight earlier, so it makes more sense mm-hmm. to go into that one. Um, man, I, 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 this, this is, this is one of those movies which I think is just pure magic and, and nothing else. Um, and I, I, I find myself relating to these kinds of movies a lot more as, um, uh, I don't know, I, I've been, like, studying about films more, like, watching more films. Um... Because, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm able to relate to them on, on a kind of, like, emotional level. And I'm very bad at articulating um, <laughs> emotions, uh, and specifically in, like, how I relate to movies emotionally, which I think just adds to, like, why I love them so much. Because they're able to, like, do something for me that I I, I can't say. <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, Long Day Junior Tonight is, is is certainly one of those. Yeah, it's a, it's day... a magical experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Long Day Junior Tonight was my favorite film of that year. Um, I'm not sure if I'd quite put it on my top twenty five all, but I, definitely an incredible film. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to like really talk about like about because it's drained and so mysterious. Um, yeah, and it's like purposely a little bit like uh, um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't give you like. Yeah, it doesn't give you like it doesn't give you like obvious answers. Um, I mean, uh, but I think I think it definitely like um, it, 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 much like uh, Gandhi's previous film Kali Blues, and also a lot of the films of Jia um, and I guess a lot of the sixth generation um, Chinese filmmakers. It's it's really like it's really setting its sights on this kind of this kind of subtropical like um, rural China. It's largely been forgotten by these like you know these like uh, mega corporate cities in like Beijing and. Um, yeah. Shanghai, right? Um, you know, th- there's like a, one of the one of the uh, one of the famous leaders of uh, of China, uh, Deng Xiaoping. Um, when when China first started getting like this massive economic boom, um, he literally said like, "All right, first some people have to get rich, then before everybody gets gets rich, right? Hmm. So some people are going to be poor, right? And the problem with that is now, Deng Xiaoping died like 20 years ago, and there's all these people who are still like, have basically been completely forgotten by yeah. like uh, by progress, right? Um, what's what's interesting about 
you know long day's journey tonight is how is how it's also like infused with like all this like like this really like pop culture right because the the the, the premise of, of of long day's journey tonight is that it's like essentially uh like a you know it's a crime story right it's yeah, almost like, a, like something like a detective see. kind of thing or like a crime yeah thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, about like criminal underworld stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it, it's this interesting like dynamic between, um, um, yeah. One of the one of the one of the important parts of this film is like the cinema, right? Because at the very end of the film, he like he goes into the cinema to watch. Like, mm-hmm. There's like it's great, not very clear yeah, what he's watching, but you know, <laughs> it, it's uh, there's that great moment where um, so like the second half of the movie is in 3D. And the yeah. way that it signals to the audience to put on your 3D glasses is that the main character literally walks into a movie theater, puts on 3D glasses, and then the movie says, please put on your 3D glasses, which is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just saying that the film's relationship with, like, kind of pop culture and film, you know, there's a lot of, like, great films coming out of, like, Hong Kong, you know, mm-hmm. China, Taiwan. And, you know, they and the kind of, like, that reaches all these all these places but people aren't really like you know this isn't reflective of their like normal lives you know yeah and so the way they kind of like play and the way they kind of play with that and this is something that um i think judge and does a lot um in very interesting ways um and the way they kind of play with that dynamic between this kind of like very crazy pop culture that started evolving out of hong kong and china and this kind of like like almost like depressingly like empty like rural settings mm-hmm. um i think is really interesting um but yeah i mean incredible film like this tonight yeah i'll just say that watch it too i know like you probably will anybody watching this but <laughs> watch this movie it's great yes um i think the, <laughs> the thing the 3d does really well is that it it, it kind of it kind of acts like a pop-up pop-up book which um helps mm-hmm. separate the characters from their environment um but i think if you can kind of like intuitively realize that what it's doing um i think you'll be, be able to enjoy it enjoy it like really well um, yeah, yeah i think th- this is like probably the only movie that i've seen in 3d that the 3d really like helps mainly because it like enhances the the one take you know it's not yeah. it's not like super in your face and i don't think it was like really trying to be but it just adds like a weird kind of like layer like an extra layer of like mysticism to the yeah. whole thing um and speaking on um this thing about pop culture, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, this movie, I think, is a is like a strange remix of a lot of different directors, like older directors' styles. So, mm-hmm. which which I think is like really fascinating. So, I, I find a lot of Tarkovsky in this. I find a lot of like Wong Kar Wai in this. Yeah. Um, the uh, the last shot of of this film is like ripped straight out of mirror right <laughs> i don't remember honestly it's been a while <laughs> but um yeah like and uh, there's something like really cool about that because um we're getting to a point where cinema is just cinematic influences are no longer like other forms of media like literature i think there's a hot take there huh yeah (laughs) um we're we're getting to a point where uh cinema doesn't really like rely on other media to influence it but it only kind of relies on itself so like a lot of like the newer directors like i think bong joon ho does this a lot where his movies feel like this kind of amalgamation or remix of like all these different tropes but presented Mm -hmm. in like a, a new way which which makes it something like unique and interesting and, yeah, um, Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think this movie definitely does that with uh, 
like stylistically. Um, I know that like I've read like a couple interviews with Begon and like he said like probably the most influential movie for him was Stalker, and I definitely mm, see yeah, a lot sense. of that in, in this <laughs> movie. Like especially the way that he films water in this movie, I, I find is like very similar mm. to the way Tarkovsky does. Um, yeah, but definitely. yeah, what if I, I I honestly cannot put into words how much this movie has affected me because it's on such like a deep like emotional level. I I just I, I don't even know how to express it. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those movies that doesn't <laughs> yeah. that it's it's one of these movies that kind of bypasses the intellectual side of my brain completely, mm-hmm. which I yeah it's such a rare thing and it has so much respect for me because of that. Yeah, but then it's like you know you try to recommend to someone. And they're like, oh, I don't get it. But it's like, come on, it's the water. It's like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, dude, I have, I have no idea. I've seen this movie maybe like two or three times. I have no idea what happens in it. I don't care. I think I had some ideas, but I, I kind of forgot a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't really matter. No, I definitely yeah. like... Yeah, definitely. Um, great film, I agree. Yeah, I, 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 I think maybe it's kind of a... I was, I was maybe something of Bong Joon-ho, but also like... I think this is also a lot of like South Korean. Films. I don't know if you watch a lot of them, but yeah, definitely. Um, I yeah, get that sense. Like Bong Joon Ho, he he finds like he always like starts his film out in a way that seems like very familiar, and he just completely twists it at the end. And I think this is this isn't just like limited to Bong Joon Ho. This is also Park Chan Wook, mm-hmm. um, the guy who did Chaser. I can't forget, forget I forget his name, but a lot I, of like I, I South Korean remember, thrillers yeah. always have like very like um, they completely like change the tone of the film at the end. Um, mm-hmm. and it can completely become something else. And it feels like almost like a, uh, um, like a, uh, commentary on like the type of films that they're almost like emulating in the beginning. Um, yeah, it's like, this you get weird... that a lot of South Korean films, of course. Yeah. yeah it's like this weird, like, gen- um, genre bending kind of thing. Um, I know yeah. that, um, the guy who did good, bad, and the weird Kim Ji Woon, I think his name is Kim Ji Woon. Yeah. That's a name. Yeah. yeah um that one good band the weird certainly is a weird mix of genre too um yeah yeah uh do you want to go with another one from your from your submission we can do like maybe like a couple more um yeah sorry um sure uh yeah I, i'm trying to, if we can only do a couple more i'm just trying to think about like, what film should i highlight sure um i mean uh, i guess i'll just go through like my next four and i'll try to say something like short about them um sure. yeah so my next one's still life which is uh one of jajanko's films um and i mentioned jajanko a lot and that and a lot of things that i mentioned about like portraying subtropical china and and um this mix of like uh pop culture that came out of china and this like uh, this dynamic between pop pop culture that came out of china and like the kind of like emptiness of the, these cities is like um is, is all at play here and it's all like it's all like um, front and center. Um, yeah, still life is, is, is largely about um, these uh, um, um, the, the uh, around these around this landmark called the Three Gorges Dam, or the landmark's a little dam, um, and these cities that are just they're just um, demolishing and and, re- and reconstructing, and it's largely like kind of um, a meditation on like what people have lost, um, you know, mm. what people like attach themselves to. Um, it's a very, uh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, it's stylistically a very interesting film because of how incredibly slow it is and just how like, um, it almost, it almost seems to like not even follow any story structure and mostly just has, um, some of the main characters just like idly, um, walking around. They're always like looking for something in the city, but it's almost like 
it's almost like impossible for them to find it or even if they do find it it's like they're, they're, they don't find the fulfillment that they were looking for and it's just this it's, it's 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 something it's a film that really understands this like the the kind of like emptiness that exists in these places um a really fantastic film um and of course, if you haven't seen anything by Jia Junko, I, I highly encourage you to check him out. It seems um, like uh, from the movies I've seen most by interesting him, Chinese directors. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like the movies I've seen from him and um, from what you've been telling me about him, he seems to have like this obsession with time in a different way than Tarkovsky does. Um, he's he's like really interested in this kind of like like how how people change like over time. At least that was mm-hmm. the main thing I got from. Ashes Pierce White. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ashes Pierce White, I don't feel comfortable like commenting too much. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ashes Pierce White. Definitely, yeah. That, that's definitely a film. I think that and largely looking at like, um, because those two films kind of, uh, like in terms of like the time that takes place within the film is also kind of the time of like kind of spans his whole career from like when he started in like the early the late 90s and early 2000s and you know to present day so it's definitely looking at like the evolving like social dynamics in china and um you know i guess other things that i probably should research more if i comment on (laughs) yeah um definitely great film i don't think i don't think that um and I think other people agree with me on this that uh, his newer films aren't his strongest. Um, um, yeah, Still Life I think is a great film. Um, hmm. I'm not gonna. There's a lot of older films that I haven't seen, but, uh, but you know, most of the people recommend his older stuff. So uh, if you get a chance, it's hard to find copies of these kind this stuff because they're not like they're yeah. not released in America. I've been <laughs> trying to see like, like platform YouTube or like Satorin. Yeah, I've been trying to see like oh platform. I'm gonna. Yeah, platform. Um, that's going to be uh, yeah my first week. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can I can get the if we get if we get the international film club set up um, and it all works out. That'll be my first uh, the first week I have a platform in the selection. Oh, cool! I wonder um, if you can choose. Well, I might have um, to crash. Into platform that, is. I'm trying to see that forever. Yeah, plat- I can't find it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a I have a copy of um, that. I you know. I legally uh, contacted the copyright owners. To of course, so you, you <clears throat> contacted the director directly, and he got it from Of course, him. of course, yeah. Me and Gia Jekin, we, we go way back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, uh, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, my next one was The Return. There's Andrei Zagantsev, um, uh mm. film. Have you seen this one? I have or embarrassingly have one? <laughs> not seen a single one by him, and I really want to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so actually, we I saw this one in the... the the film club and the, the film club so you know if you oh, guys cool. come to the film club they'll have opportunities to see great films like <laughs> for sure definitely guys <laughs> this is why yeah this is why i put it on the list i swear no it's um <laughs> it's like uh yeah this is this is a film that is i mean it, i think i'm just going to contextualize it with like uh what russia was at the time i mean uh everyone knows like the soviet union fell in like the, the early 90s and so what after that happened like a uh, basically what after that was basically like, a decade of like hell um, you know, uh, all the all the plans to rebuild the the, the Russia into like a, a um, into like a functioning economy were like this idea of uh, a neoliberal shock therapy. Um, and I'm not going to go too much into politics, but essentially, like that just completely destroyed like 
like the entirety of Russia, and the only people that prosper were these like very specific like oligarchs. Wait, are you saying um, that privatization just like makes the oligarchs make money? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, well, yeah. I mean, Russia is doing, of course, you know, problems. Uh, yeah. But specifically, this this decade, of, if you're wondering like why Putin has had such a had such a like quick rise to power, is because this 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 decade had just completely destroyed like everything, um, like everything there, right? And, yeah. And um, I think this this film, which came out in 2003, is an interesting reflection on that. Um, and it, it follows like these two boys who are. Um, uh, it follows these like two young boys who are who don't know their father, and he and out of nowhere. He, he comes home and takes them on a on a trip on a little holiday, right? And of course, this isn't you know go as planned in many ways. I'm gonna be I'm trying to be a little bit vague about what happens, but you know the father is very much a metaphor, the uh, the, the legacy of the Soviet Union, um, and kind of his absence is also kind of um, reflected on um, in the same way. Um, this is largely a film that takes place in these like rundown cities, these kind of like. Um, these like uh, like empty or maybe that's not a good word. Yeah, well, yeah. You see like these like completely run down cities. These like uh, dirt roads. Um, it's just like just complete a portrait of like failing infrastructure. Um, and yeah, I'm afraid if I say more, it'll be a spoiler. But I highly, highly recommend this movie, um, especially if you want to get like a sense of like, a visceral sense of like what what uh, the world was like back then in Russia. Hmm. Um, I definitely will check this one out. Um, I've been yeah. trying to get into him for a while. Honestly, like all the movies yeah. on your list are stuff that I want to see that I have at least the ones that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> I've seen um, half of them. Uh, Letterbox tells me. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I specifically try to choose. I might have put like eight and a half in Persona on here, <laughs> um, but I was like, uh, maybe try something that you know super known <laughs> yeah i think um, i mean that works for um, yeah. they shoot pictures because like they're they have like a top 1000 or something is this is that what it's going to turn to yeah yeah um so uh, I'm I'm really obviously sure. like i just saw 25 films okay <laughs> yeah um, well, <laughs> obviously like in half and stuff like that's going to be on, on the list um but it's yeah, yeah of like some more representation um, so i think you did a good right. job with yours yeah um, yeah uh <laughs> thanks <laughs> i um uh, some some stuff i wanted to comment on so I Pulse is great. Pulse is really good. I Pulse, got, yeah. I, I got into Kiyoshi Kurosawa like a year or so Oh, ago. Kiyoshi Kurosawa, another director I, I discovered in 2016. I saw oh, his movie Creepy. There you go. Um, and that movie blew me away. And that's not a movie people love. Hmm. His, like, um, the thing about Kiyoshi Kurosawa, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, I think, is probably, like, the most interesting hard director. Just, like, oh, yeah. out of any, any contemporary hard director. You know, you, you go far back enough, you'll find someone else. But in terms of, like, contemporary hard directors, I don't think there's any like um as interesting as Kiyoshi Kurosawa yeah um, and specifically Pulse Pulse is, is a film the scariest that, movie I've seen in my life <laughs> I mean honest. I yeah. yeah I mean I that probably I probably sediment um yeah Pulse is like terrifying yeah um I'm not gonna Pulse is also a movie that it's kind of like it's 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 hard to like interpret and I'm not really sure if I should interpret it mm-hmm. um but a lot of this a lot of the fear in Pulse comes from like this um uh, this this like really alien. It's it's a really alienating film, and it's this kind of like distrust in like public spaces and you know the people around us, and a kind of extensive distrust of like our own like our own thoughts and our own like um, uh, yeah, I guess our own thoughts. Um, and I think it's an extension of the kind of more uh, you know 
the more like the digital the, the digital era that you know was just like starting up in like 2001 when pulse was released yeah it's really um, like a prophetic film i think um mm-hmm. and like how i was able to to comment on on that whole era and that's kind of like taking take, that's come like completely t- t- uh, taking us over like definitely that sense of like loneliness and alienation um yeah. i think is, is a really like real thing that a lot of people are feeling in the social media age yeah but yeah and the, the yeah there's a really great scene in pulse um where one of the ghosts like is like slowly walking on like walking behind one of the characters mm, yeah. this is like one of the most famous scenes i don't know if you know exactly what i'm talking about i i think i do but yeah, it's it's probably one of the it's like it's like a terrifying scene, and what makes it so effective is that I mean Kiyoshi Urasawa the way he films like he has like no empathy for his characters. He just yeah. like puts the camera down, and you're trying to like piece it together. The the thing he understands is like the environment, how alienated, and he doesn't even like, <laughs> and he just watches his characters. And the reason the scene is so effective, um, I mean you can look up like ghost ghost scene pulse. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Um, is that it, it doesn't even like. You just see it from like the back of your your eye, just something just like yeah. creeping up on you. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, it's 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 a little bit of like a you know one of these, you know, maybe a little bit more pretentious horror movies that you know, not as super not super accessible, but I think it's incredible. I think it's definitely like one of the scariest things I've ever seen. I think it's it's probably the number one scariest I've ever seen. Um, yeah, the way that he uses the camera reminds me a bit of like um, Haneke and that kind of like cold, mm-hmm. almost objective. Play. yeah yeah definitely um, Haneke yeah my favorite film by him also one of my favorite films of all time and I think I put it on my list maybe I didn't is uh Cure Cure is great yeah, yeah I guess I didn't put it on my list damn well anyway that movie is amazing <laughs> yeah Cure Cure is a lot more accessible and people like it more the reason I put Pulse on my list like you're, te- you're talking about like a bit prophetic but I think this is a genuine reflection of like the digital yeah it's kind of like alienation yeah. And turning into fear, I think this is like a very unique experience um, that this film like nails perfectly. And that's why I put it on this list. Yeah, um, amazing guy. I definitely need to dive more into his stuff. Um, I've also seen Tokyo Sonata, which I thought was really good. Yeah, I still have to see that one, but yeah, that's. Definitely... I highly recommend that one. Definitely check that one yeah. out. Um, recommendation that one. Let's see. I'll just touch on a couple <laughs> ones and we'll go to mine. Um, Blue is amazing. Derek Jarman. Blue's great. Yeah. Um, like, how do you? How do you like? Um, I also have this this thing with some of these films are very political. Um, mm-hmm. Blue is, if for anyone who doesn't know, Blue Blue is about the, the AIDS crisis, specifically Derek Jarman's experience at the end of his life, um, suffering from AIDS, and him reflecting on uh, on what it was like to be um, a gay man in the eighties. Um, and this is contrasted with this kind of like pure shade of blue, which is in a way like a point of view shot because like Derek Jarman basically says like he can only see blue now. Right. Mm-hmm. And he described, and you know, Derek Jarman was a set designer by profession. Yeah. And, um, he's have you seen the devils you know, by any chance? I have seen the devils. Amazing. Yeah. yeah he did the sets Great for film. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so this contrast between this unending blue, this like, um, uh, like that you see on screen and, um, like just the, the depth of, excuse me, the depth of his, like, um, is, is his recollections. I mean, it's, it's really poignant. And I mean, it's like, it, it really like shows you the pain of like what people felt during the AIDS crisis. Um, because yeah. it's like, it's not only, it's not just like a random illness. It's like all his friends had this, right? It's like um, this entire like, yeah. you know, generation of people. Um, something Brisson said was, um, he believed that sound was actually more important to, to movies than the image. And I think that um, a lot of people that watch movies take sound completely for granted. Um, mm. I, took, I took a class on, on 
uh, sound cinema and something that my teacher told me there was how sound and image uh, are not always together. Like they're kind of uh, the way that sound and image is presented in film is kind of separate. They're like separate entities that we kind of only like put together in our heads to make it work. And I think that yeah. um, the way that, uh, cause like this movie has to really be like all sound since, you know, we only have like the blue um, image, yeah. the, the way that yeah, this movie used to sound is just amazing. And it kind of, it really like, um, it's like opened my eyes to what can be done in this medium. Um, it's certainly like one of those films that really pushes the boundaries um, and I have so much respect for it because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I'll just I'll just uh, briefly go through uh, <laughs> some of the other movies from your list that I really like. Um, uh, Funeral Parade of Roses, amazing. Um, Funeral Parade, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. going to be, um, yeah, I'm definitely. That's going to be definitely a selection next year. Hell yeah. To- <laughs> yeah, that movie. It's actually interesting crazy. enough that. Uh, that's the least esoteric film I have currently on my list. That's like the most popular. <laughs> Just, I'm pretty sure that would be Raging like, Bull, no? No, no, I mean like on my um, on the selections I have for the oh, next year's uh, this gotcha. Is, okay. No, not, not in this one. Well, the, the least esoteric is Moon. This one, true, true, true. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, Pinocchio is amazing. Um, Grand Illusion is, is great. Um, Clearly from 5 to 7. Uh, Ugetsu is really good. Yeah. Um, Ugetsu. Yeah, you guys had a whole um, had a whole episode on that, right? Yeah, it's one of my one of my friends, uh, one of his favorites. So, so we chose yeah. that one. I need to I need to really deep dive more into Mizuguchi. I've, I've only yeah, Ugetsu is really interesting. Yeah, Ugetsu um, kind of takes place. Um, it, yeah, it, it really understands like um, uh, this kind of like a feeling of like wartime. I mean, it's a period piece, but. Um, Mm-hmm. It it also has that kind of like we were talking earlier about afterlife like relationship between uh, this kind of like this um, you know death and and uh, and life and trying to like bridge these bridge this gap and make it all feel banal like this is this is something Ogetsu does pretty well um, uh, yeah very like very isolating film very um, very powerful yeah. film especially for something like this old yeah um so yeah some some great picks i definitely i i vibe with this i vibe with this hard yeah i, I need to see the rest of these for sure oh oasis yeah. i love oasis too yeah big fan i got a um, oasis yeah oasis has been on my uh <laughs> it's one of my favorite films. uh yeah very very brutal yeah and very like empathetic film um That's it's incredible sure. this like what this film did there's so many scenes out of this film that i just like i just think about like constantly and honestly I mean, two of the greatest performances, like ever, like oh yeah, underrated, easily, <laughs> like, easily, for sure, easily. I think I think uh, Lee Chang Dong might be my favorite working director right now. I haven't seen all of his yeah. things yet, but um, I think I've I've just seen Peppermint Candy and Greenfish, but I've seen the rest. Yeah. Oh well, things. I mean, yeah, those aren't like his strongest. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> <You've seen them. laughs> okay. I mean, I've seen I haven't seen Greenfish, Candy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like it's it's great. It's a great film. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's not like it's nothing compared to like <laughs> uh, I think Oasis or like Burning, which are my two favorites. Gotcha. Um, and I guess we'll 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 touch on on my list pretty quickly. Um, Burning is my favorite film of the last decade for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it was. I love Burning too. Yeah, yeah definitely agree. <laughs> this Hard film agree. has given me so much creatively. I think that this film has inspired me creatively more than anything else I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> Like when it comes, um, I'm also a um, a creative writing minor, and oh really yeah yeah um, 
the film that has inspired me most for those writings has been burning like by far in what way (laughs) um what really like fascinated me about burning was um like its commentary on on narrative and how um like people create narratives for themselves to like justify certain things and, and and the way that they act so um i love the ambiguity in burning so for, for those that don't know spoilers yeah <laughs> spoilers for those that don't know um burning is kind of about this um this guy who has this girl that he may or may not know that disappears that may or may not have disappeared and he suspects <laughs> this guy who may or may not have killed her of doing it and yeah. um there's there's nothing like solid in the movie all of the evidence to uh to like make a case in one way is like negated by like some other piece of evidence um she she introduces herself as like a childhood friend to the protagonist and later on in the movie you realize that um she may or may not have been lying about that like it could be that they just met on the on the street that one day when they were older um and yeah like the this whole the whole like feeling i get when watching this movie the music too yeah. it's just amazing it's perfect i get the sense that you like these like mysterious asian movies based on your last yeah. night <laughs> <laughs> I, I i love i love i love mystery i love i love it when things like really make me like think or yeah or, like feel less i remember i remember i saw burning in theaters oh, watching man, dash oh really yeah, yeah i was and, and we were driving back and my dad turns to me um and he asked me like uh like what do you think happened do you think he killed her or not Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the ambiguity that's. Um, and I remember I, I think about that conversation a lot because, like, um, and and just like, how do you like, and just how how well this movie like, um, it's not necessarily like what happened that's important. It's the ambiguity and the fact that you, you're you can't actually find the answers, um, and you're kind of engaging with this unknown. Um, and I think this is really works really well in Burning because like the character. Um, the main character i mean he it's it's he's i mean he's he's certainly really alien you know you know he's alien by his parents he's kind of stuck on this farm he's alien politically he hears all the fucking north korean uh yeah. propaganda every and day the, you there's know? like that weird thing um, where like there's like uh he's like watching trump on tv at one point i think yeah yeah that's mm-hmm. true yeah 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 burning is a very rich, um it's certainly like a, a cross-section of like uh south korean culture it, it yeah. engages with masculinity you know sexism related to that um like the political situation in Korea, um, it's incredibly rich. I think I think it's like it might be one of the richest movies I've seen. You can just go with in so many different directions when when you look at this movie. Yeah, so it's a really fascinating. Yeah, um, and still fine. And it's still extremely visceral, you know. So it's like you yeah. feel that like emptiness, you know, when he kills him at. Oh well, okay. When he kills him <laughs> at the end. Oh jeez. <laughs> well, when. Um, yeah, when he kills him at the end, you kind of like it. it, it you you. Mm. I mean, it, it's 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 a it's a visceral. Co- it's it. it uh, yeah, I think I think the problem with like a lot of the a lot of films that that are really rich is that you know they they kind of feel like a Wikipedia article, but this is really like about like the visceral experience of like feeling so frustrated that you have to like kill someone at the end. Yeah, you know? the movie didn't really hit sense, me. Yeah. I think until the credits rolled the first time I watched it. Like mm. when when the film cut to black, I, I was just like, what what the fuck did I just watch? And I, I just like uh, thought about it for a little bit, and I just instantly fell in love yeah. and i had to rewatch it and uh yeah, yeah. when i rewatch it solidified um itself as being like one of my favorite movies ever yeah uh, um 
I'm gonna post my list in the chat and um, <laughs> let me know if there's any of those that you want to touch on really quick. All right. Um, all right. Uh, it's loading. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these I love. Of course, um, I agree. Mishima, uh, Taxi Driver, Mirror. Mirror is my favorite Tarkovsky film. Same. Yeah, I think um, it's like my number two of all time. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I always have like um. Yeah, I have like a weird family connection with Tarkovsky. I think I shared uh. I shared some photos into the, the group chat. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember that. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm so yeah, jealous. Yeah, that, that was that was directly from like Arseny Tarkovsky by uh. uh I don't know, not by biography. Um, or autobiography. Hmm. Um, it's only written in Russian, so I don't know if you won't be able to find it, but it was kind of cool. My, my grandfather always used to have a really good relationship hmm. with Arseny, um, and he claims that he was the one that told uh, told Arseny Targovsky that his son had passed away. And Arseny Targovsky, of course, passed away a few years later. Jesus. Um, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I, it's, I mean, it's obvious that they had some... Um, I mean, so yeah, I guess it's pretty cool, <laughs> kind of being an American and yeah, <laughs> having these like connections. Hey, and now I know um, somebody that had a relative <laughs> that knew Tarkovsky's father, so I'm also really Tarkovsky. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I have these weird like um, film connections. I have this. Um, I I have. Um, I don't know. Do you know Metro Twenty Twenty? No. 2033 do you know this yeah the video game or the book yeah they're well there's well yeah there's a book (laughs) i have a signed book and i actually Mm. i'm looking at it it's it's like across the room from me and it's signed by the author himself right Mm -hmm. it's in russian and um the reason i have a signed copy was because he was staying at my house and uh, he he signed a copy of the book and he wrote like please read more russian which is a little (laughs) bit ironic because i still haven't read like anything from that book that's really um, the funny. reason you're staying at my house is because um, uh, there was like a, one of our friends was like a Hollywood producer, mm-hmm. and he um, and they were trying to make a film, uh, but they never did, and they uh, made like some video game instead. Um, mm. But yeah, that was kind of cool. <laughs> I still have that. Book. That's so. Sick. I should probably get get around to reading it. You yeah. never read it yet, and um, you have a signed copy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> I don't That's know. Funny. So uh, do- I still have to watch uh, Satan Tango. Watch that That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you, so uh, just because I'm I'm curious now. Ha, um, have you like read like a lot of Russian literature? Um, I haven't read like much literature like at all. Okay. Uh, if I'm being honest, I've read uh, you know, I've read some like Dostoevsky stuff, but it was like abridged mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, but I think gotcha. I don't know as I got older, I've just been more attracted to, and most of like what I read is like now nonfiction, so I'm not like too well read. Gotcha. I've been trying to get like more into like reading in general lately, um, and I, I got. Yeah, I, I would imagine it would be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, reading is like so important for like cinema too. I just read um, Bazan's "What Is Cinema." It's a uh, it's a collection yeah. of like his writings on on cinema. Yeah, I read that when I was very young. I remember I found oh, that really? like, a used bookstore fifteen. Nice. Yeah, because I was just like learning about like French movies, you know. <laughs> I was like, I'll sure. this. I'll read yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, Bazan, Bazan. Um, yeah, really I was at, the, I was at, at, at that same time, I'd seen like Breathless, and it like completely blew my mind. Breathless. And I was like, yeah, all right, I gotta, crazy. I gotta like, I gotta like learn what uh, cinema is. I gotta learn what it, what it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, think I read the full book, but I read a lot. 
yeah, mm. it's definitely an interesting book. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been like interested in Russian lit now for a bit. Like I'm a huge fan of Dostoevsky. Um, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to want to check like more of that out. I, I just got like a copy of War and Peace, and I'm sure that'll be like on my shelf for like four years until I read it. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess. Uh, I mean, I'll, 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 I haven't seen all the movies on your list. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, work uh, workmaster harmonies. Uh, should I start with this one? <laughs> I haven't seen anything. But... <laughs> um, I think probably the best place to start is Damnation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's oh, that's his like eight from the eighties, right? Yeah, the reason I say that is because it's the first where he kind of like uses a style that he's so known for. Because before that, he did mm-hmm. a lot of like, um, like cinema verite, like realist films, um. Like Autumn, Autumn Almanac, Family Nest, I think are, are kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. in, in Damnation is like when he developed his style, like the um, okay, yeah. the black and white, long take, that kind of thing. Right. And I think that there's actually a recent restoration of it by the guys who did the same Tango restoration, which is um, Arbalos. So I think that's like playing either on their website or like you can buy like on-demand tickets or something. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely check that out. For sure. Um, yeah. and, and from there you could probably just go like in chronological order um, my favorite from him is definitely Rickmeister Harmonies that's the one I put on this list mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah that that one I think holds the record for the earliest I've cried in a movie I cried oh, wow. like 40 minutes in <laughs> oh wow uh, just, okay, I gotta watch this, <laughs> this, this amazing scene um, of the main character encountering this, this um, dead whale uh, which is kind of like the the film's like center um yeah check that one out it's 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 absolutely amazing and in dire need of a new restoration i have like this this like yeah. shitty european dvd <laughs> yeah Dude, speaking about restorations there's a lot of films oh and actually not so many now that i look at it but there's a few films on my list that de- definitely need restoration um actually yeah. i'll run through these just because people might not know them sure. um, one of them is millennium mambo yeah i can't find that movie anywhere i've been trying to look for that movie for like so long Oh yeah, this is yeah. I I mean I of course contacted the copyright holders, right? Legal copy, of course. Um, but you know I get that it's hard to find. Um, but yeah, Millennium Mambo was like my. It's I think it's it's probably my favorite film. And it's a film I was like scared to like rewatch, because it's like that experience of watching it was so unique. Um, mm. That afraid of losing it. Um, yeah, Millennium Mambo is like it's essentially someone like they're looking 10 they're looking back 10 years into the past so this whole film is basically a memory and it's about them trying to like navigate i think this takes place in taipei there's capital of taiwan um them like trying to navigate like this uh kind of the the culture of like taiwan trying to find meaning um and the way they do that is uh i don't know it really spoke to me um yeah i mean i want to be a little bit big about it because i think it's like it's a very unique experience and um, mm. I highly encourage anyone to watch it. I mean, of course, my favorite film. So, definitely, <laughs> I definitely want to check that out soon. And I need to do a, a deep dive of his stuff. Yeah, another one is Devils on the Doorstep, and this is a very like this is a pretty well known film in, in China, but it's not like really well known in the U.S. Uh, um, it's directed by a guy named Jiang Wen, who actually uh, starred in uh, ended up like starring in a Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Star Wars huh. story, you know. <laughs> he's like, he's one of the. He was kind of like one of the the actors to like get a Chinese audience in. Him and oh Daddy shit! And he did uh, let, let the bullets fly. I saw that. Yeah, let the bullets fly is one of his later films. But I think uh, I actually haven't seen the bullets fly, so I'm not going to comment on That's that. That's pretty but, funny. Yeah, this is a very. Um, you, we were talking a little earlier about like Korean films and how they genre bend. This is like a very 
great example of that. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say much more than that because uh, <laughs> keep it a little bit vague. But highly encouraged. And this one also kind of needs a restoration. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Good luck finding it. But if you do, I highly encourage it. <laughs> I encourage you watch it. Yeah, I'll check it. Out. Um, okay, um, I'll go through. Yeah, City of Sadness. Um, this is my two Ho Shaoshan films. The other one is Millennium Mambo. Yeah, City uh, City City of Sadness is about the um, February twenty eighth incident in uh, in Taiwan. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's basically um, uh, after the the after the Second World War ended. Um, this, this this occurred in uh, nineteen forty seven, um, and essentially the systematic killing of a leftist. We saw an active killing. Mm. Um, and the, the the film it, it's it's very much done in this uh, Ho Xiaoshan style, which is very like long lethargic takes, um, very like naturalist acting. In fact, uh, Tony Leung, who you Ooh, probably recognize, he's in this. Hell yeah, is in this. Yeah, he's in this movie. But uh, Ho Xiaoshan was like very against having this movie because he's like a legitimate oh, really? actor, and he was <laughs> acting too much. Essentially, that was his That's complaint. Really funny. Um, um, but yeah, his role is a little bit difficult because he plays this like deaf mute uh, photographer. Essentially, and he, 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 and it's kind of a perspective of someone who can't engage with like the atrocity that's happening around him, and he watches his, he watches his family, um, kind of disintegrate, and he's just kind of like helplessly watching that. And it's of course it's like a difficult role to play. So I, I mean I think it's okay that an actor was chosen for this role, but yeah, certainly a very like naturalistic portrait of um, of um, of uh, Taiwan at the time, like one of the biggest atrocities about like 30,000 people were killed in this just like uh, a bunch of leftists mm. um yeah um highly highly recommended it. it's quite long but you know if you can find a copy please do legally um, of course definitely needs a restoration um yeah i would say also uh school and fire which i'll touch on a little bit um, probably needs a restoration too uh mm. um i i mentioned this I don't actually. I don't. Th I think I mentioned to you privately a bit earlier before we started recording that this was one of my picks for our Hong Kong Action Week that I wanted that I was uh, planning to do for um, next year. Right. Um, and I mean, this is a really fascinating film. I mean, I think if you're looking for like great action films, um, it's it's a really great place to look at like Hong. Oh especially. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I love Gun Fu. I'm like obsessed with Gun Fu. Yeah, Gung Fu. This is a, this is a. I, um, of like the definitely the, the social uh uh the, the 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 social culture that was happening there at the time um mm. uh this is a this is a very this is a very like um if okay if you compare this to someone like john Woo or even like ringo lamb's other films they often like very um they very they really sens uh, sensationalize like gung he's like like epic like triad guys um just like shooting each other um and you know that's great and all, <laughs> but um, this this film is like a direct contrast to that because all, all of the violence in this film, all the action film, is like very very brutal, and the the what you what you get out of it is like you get a very like harsh indictment of like the social structures that were popping up in Hong Kong there. Hmm. Um, and, you know, part part of the film is how like try the film's called School on Fire, and it's about how triads have like basically. Uh, um, uh, infiltrated like uh, all these school systems and like all these young kids were like part were like getting indoctrinated in a triad system which of course is you know um, also a reflection of how like dead end these these people's lives were um, you know like their hopes were um, which is kind of the, the social perception kind of the perception of things in Hong Kong at the time um, 
there's a lot of things I think to talk about. So it was a lot more interesting than it might seem. It's not just, I, I, I wouldn't say it's like a simple action film, but just like, mm. it's very, it's all of it's very much reflective. It's like very like angry, very violent, um, like reaction to like the, the, the failing social structures that were happening in Hong Kong at the time. I think it's a brilliant film. It's also very hard. Actually, actually, I think it's on YouTube, but um, oh, okay, still needs cool. restoration. Yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> um, sure. And I guess the last film that I would say needs restoration is Entranced Earth, which uh, you can also talk about a bit too because you've seen. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, the, the problem with Brazilian new just in general is that it's very it's very inaccessible to a lot of Western audiences. Yeah, um, for like a myriad of reasons. Um, and so for that reason, like basically Globo Rocha who did a black god white devil it's the most famous film it's like this this movie doesn't exist there's, there's no like restoration of this like anywhere there's you can find like a dvd from it from like 30 years ago but that's like the best quality you'll get yeah um and and i think i think because this is so like inaccessible to people in the west um is is why this this film just kind of um doesn't exist in any in, in, in that capacity which is really unfortunate yeah. um because i think like um Entranced Earth is like one of the like richest political films I've ever seen. Oh um, yeah, for sure. I'm sure you'll agree with that. Yeah, Definitely like agree, very. Yeah. And like what I was saying about it's not only it's not only like a rich political, it's very visceral. I mean, this film is like, like it's it's almost like like violently put together, You're like violently edited. <laughs> like that might seem confusing to you, but you'll know. What I mean, if you watch it, yeah. <laughs> like this, it's 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 almost like incomprehensible just it's how so it's like, how, angry, like, how crazy it is. Yeah, and so angry, and this mm-hmm. is such a reflection of like the. This was uh, this was made in 1967, which was three years after the the military dictatorship started in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is really a reflection of Brazil. They 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 kind of like they changed the name to El Dorado, but you know, yeah. <laughs> that's not. It's not Brazil. It's El Dorado. It's, it's a different different country. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if you want to see some like this is a this is this is a film that. Um, examines again examines uh like failing political structures it follows like a a journalist finds himself like going between different like political camps and like uh involving himself but at the end of it he sees like the how just how like how how failing how how fucked everything is essentially um in that sense much like a lot of other brazilian uh, new wave films it's like an anarchist film it's 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 coming from a place that has no trust like literally zero trust in the government it's not like libertarian like no trust in the government this is like literally the government will fuck me i will not it should not exist (laughs) and um that's probably the the perspective you should have watching this film yeah definitely um you know chaotic but i think rewarding if you can really if you really try to understand it. In, in case yeah. certain uh, three-letter institutions are visiting, uh, are listening to this <laughs> podcast, um, I do not condone anything from Entranced Earth. I am not an anarchist. Uh, three-letter <laughs> institution. It focuses on intersexual. You know? True, true, true. Yes, <laughs> have, you seen that, yes. have you seen that ad? With them? Oh my god. Why would you say <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> um, so there was like a, a couple of those, I think, I, I saw. Empowerment. Um, Jesus of, uh, Christ. You know. <laughs> it's literally like the meme of um like the bomber and then underneath it's like the bomber Republican. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The bomber yeah, that's yeah. like a pride the, flag. Okay, right? Yeah, it's like that's the rainbow flag, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um uh, the other one film I want to touch on just because I saw Army of Shadows in your list, which I think is an incredible. Uh probably Millville's best film in Definitely, my opinion. Yeah. Incredible film. But you should see uh, Z or Z. Um, yeah, Costa Garvis. Which I think is, um, 
Yeah. So this was done as a react. This was uh, filmed in France, but Costa Gavras is a Greek director. This was filmed during the Greek military dictatorship between 1967 and 1974. Um, this was definitely a reaction to that. This was actually this was actually based on a specific murder of a leftist figure. Um, mm, I and um, I would say this is quite good because not only is it like, very rich political thriller, it's also like very accessible. I would imagine like a lot of people love this movie. Hmm. Um, I think this is not Criterion, so definitely check this out if you haven't. Um, yeah, I'll check yeah. that one out for <laughs> sure. Well, all right. Um, unless there's anything else to say, um, do you want to start wrapping things up? Yeah, um, I guess we didn't go in order we're watching this week. Oh right, let's we'll, we'll do that really <laughs> quick. So much um, we'll do we'll do like uh, what's the last good thing, great thing you've watched? Last great thing I watched. Yeah. I mean, I feel like every movie. I try to like i don't know the way the way i choose films to watch um okay well i i was looking for specifically films to like uh, choose for um what i was gonna uh, screen next next year mm-hmm. um but besides that like i mean generally the way i approach films is that i always look at like not the aggregate score on letterbox but i go to the reviews and see how many like five star reviews like at the top or like four and a half stars and just see how like people are excited about a film right Mm-hmm. And I generally try to go into the film trying to, like, maybe not share that excitement, but, like, try to understand and try to grasp that excitement. And um, I don't know. I come out of a lot of films that maybe I don't know if they're, like, I don't know if, if, if in a void I would say they were, in a void I might say they weren't, like, great, great. But I, you know, I have such appreciation for, like, how people engage with films that, I don't know, I always feel, like, bad calling something that I didn't immediately gravitate towards, like, you know, like, bad. Um, and, you know, we were, like, yeah. talking earlier about how, uh, um, or maybe before the podcast, we're talking about how like we uh, we rediscovered new movies after um, you know years and years, right? Right. Um, and so I think that's an extension of that, that extension of that. There's so, no hey, there's, there's no shame in hating great <laughs> movies. There's plenty of um, amazing movies I think are terrible. So. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> like gone. With no, the I always try to. I always try to like. Oh, God. I haven't actually seen Gone with the Wind. You don't have so. to. Well, actually, you know what? You probably <laughs> have to <laughs> okay. as a cinephile, but it's a terrible movie. What do you mean I have to? <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, it's four hours, man. It's too long, you know? I feel bad. <laughs> can't watch it. I feel bad. <laughs> Gotta make room for all the Juan Diaz movies, um, you know? That's my excuse. That's my excuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I saw Blue Velvet for the first time. Oh, nice. I thought it was a really great film. Um, I, that, that that was one of those movies that was like I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah, I watched it. Definitely, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna even try to like interpret um, some <laughs> what that film was about. But definitely, like that feeling of like this like hellscape of a sub- suburbia, right? Yeah, that you feel that, um, and you know they they create this like almost like a, you know this like kidnapping like almost, like kind of really macabre plot. And they kind of put it in this like almost like, uh, like degenerate suburb. What it feels like. Yeah. Um, and there's so many scenes that I feel like it's like there's two like conflicting elements uh, of that. Um, that's probably my best like closest thing I have to an interpretation of that film. Uh, um, yeah, I just love that. I love the, the the intro shot of that film when the guy literally just gets clapped by uh, his garden hose. Oh, that's so which I think is yeah. kind of what I'm what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and um, of course, like yeah, the, the, the opening that. scene where it starts with like the white picket fence and then it pans down to yeah. like all the bugs underneath the surface. I think is like a good yeah, yeah, that's too, that's too, right? Yeah. Um, how familiar how familiar are you with like Lynch's work? 
Lynch's work. Uh, I've seen the first season of Twin Speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen Mulholland Drive, and I've seen Eraserhead. Now I've seen Blue uh, Velvet. Gotcha. Not, nothing, nothing beyond that. Um, all of his movies are definitely worth watching, including Dune. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that you've kind of noticed that there's this. Um, he has this obsession with uh, suburbia and this kind of like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good and evil, the evil like marinating under the surface. What I find like really. Yeah, well, maybe not, about... not so much suburbia, but this like very like almost like nuclear family vibes. Because I think yeah. Mulholland Drive is talking about this like very classical. That's what it's it's criticizing. Yeah. Um, he he yeah. definitely has a sense of like what Americana is and all yeah. of its like good elements and all of its bad ones. And the thing I I really like about Lynch's films is that he treats good and evil um, on the same level. He doesn't really prioritize one over the other. He kind of like views it as, yeah. uh, like. The reason why, uh, like, America is beautiful is because it has um, this the good and the evil in it, um, which I think is, like, a, a pretty, like, unique perspective. He, he doesn't shy away from, like, showing... So he's not making, like, moralistic films. He's making films yeah. that like, are honest reflections. Yeah. yeah um, like, he, 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 he isn't shy from showing the beauty and evil, for example. Mm. Um, I think that's definitely yeah. true. You know what? An interesting film... That does that is a Mishima, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. That was a movie I was obsessed with because I think Mishima more than anything shows like the beauty of because Mishima himself was a fascist, right? Yeah. And that last scene when he like, um, oh, I mean, spoilers, but the last it's not really spoilers. (laughs) The last scene when he, um, you know, in well, the the very like the very very last film when he kills himself. And he sees the sunset, like fall, like fall in Japan, right? I mean, that's like undoubtedly beautiful, right? And you yeah. understand this like beauty of nationalism, and suddenly you understand this like immense, intense appeal to fascism that has been like that you can kind of connect to, like um, you know, your uh, you know, <laughs> or you know, no modern life, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's an incredible film. I was like really obsessed with this film after I watched it. Oh yeah, me too. Like, two years ago, Mishima is definitely like one of those like, I don't know, founding films for me. That's, like, provided me with so yeah. much, like, creative energy. Um, and, yeah, yeah, the UK Mishima himself is, like, a fascinating figure, too. Have you seen, um, he actually made one short film. Um, directed yeah, I know what you're talking about, but Patriotism. I have <laughs> Okay. It, it's worth a watch, because, well, I guess I would... Is it a spoiler if I, if I just tell you what the movie's about? I don't even know. <laughs> Anyway, look up the movie. Um, there's a lot of strange... If it's a short film, it's probably not going to be that. Yeah. I'm not going to worry that much. Gonna... <laughs> okay, so um, he commits Harakiri in the movie, mm-hmm. which is very funny. Yeah. The whole movie, the whole short is about him um, committing Harakiri. Yeah. Okay. Um, so obviously that's a strange parallel to what happened in his actual life. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Also, the Philip Glass score in that one is really good. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, it's definitely my favorite incredible. Glass score, I think. Yeah. I think he reused a lot of it in uh, uh, The Truman Show. Because I was rewatching, oh, really? I rewatched The Truman Show. Like, <laughs> yeah, I rewatched The Truman Show and I was like, I recognize the soundtrack. And I looked it up, he just, just copied and pasted it. <laughs> That's <laughs> really funny. I know that, I know that Glass like, kind of reuses similar sounds for a lot of his soundtracks, but I didn't realize he just yeah. literally used the Mishima score. <laughs> you know, he probably was like, yeah, um, yeah. you know what? This score is so good, and nobody has seen this movie. I might as well yeah, no one saw Mishima, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Have you seen um, Kainas Quatsi? 
Uh, actually, I haven't. Okay. Although I've seen parts of it, and I've listened to but I haven't watched them. Yeah, movie. that's a great I score know. by him. I love the score in um, The Thin Blue Line, too. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. amazing movie. Um, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite composers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just one do, like, two more films that I saw last, sure. like, recently. Um, yeah, I saw Woman in the Dunes. Um, Ooh, nice. I need to check that one out. And I was... Yeah, very... Um, I, I think... Uh, Teshigahara, Hiroshi Teshigahara, who directed um, this, uh, Woman the Dunes, he also directed uh, his, um, Face of Another and Pitfall. I mean, mm. he really, like, this is, like, some, like, deep ex- existentialism and some, like, the most deep existentialism I've seen. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw Pitfall for the first time, and Pitfall is kind of, it's, it's, it's not the, it's, it's like, it's not, it's like the least favorite of everyone, but it's actually like my, probably my personal favorite just because of like oh, really? watching that film and, ex- and experiencing his like kind of perspective on this, like, uh, his, his like weird perspective on like existentialism, like that ending felt, made me feel so like isolated and mm-hmm. that like experience is something I, um, I, I think just cause of that is just my favorite. But I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, I think, but um, yeah, Woman is very, very rich. Um, yeah, I guess I shouldn't talk too much about it. Um, it's really good in how it like reveals challenges, uh, how how challenging its own ideas in the beginning. Mm. Um, and Face of Another is also very good for this for this reason. But yeah, definitely very like isolated and existentialism. Mm. Um, and it's very poignant. I mean, it seems to like like this very <laughs> has like a was a four point four on Letterboxd. It's like, not oh, only yeah, my opinion. Really <laughs> um, I definitely need to check out these three. Um, it's been on my watch list like forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also saw Gate of Flesh, Sage and Suzuki. Ooh, nice. Uh, I've been getting that was really cool. Yeah, I've been I've been getting more yeah. into him recently. I actually saw um, Youth of the Beast recently. Um, mm. Have you seen that one? No, I've only seen um, the branded uh, branded life and Gate of Flesh. Brand to kill. Right, Brandon. Brand to kill. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brand to kill. That's right. Sorry. Gotcha. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brand to kill is a cool film too. Brand to kill is one of my favorites of all time. I think. Um, definitely check out Tokyo Drifter. Um, mm-hmm. That movie is very clearly an inspiration for so many other films. Like um, it reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of the Samurai actually Melville. Um, I'd also mm-hmm. definitely like Drive, which is also influenced uh, by, by Melville. Um, <laughs> and Thief, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, definitely check out yeah Tokyo Drifter is amazing because I love Branded to Kill for completely like different reasons I love like the the that movie is like in black and white but the way that yeah. like Suzuki uses color especially in that movie is just oh my god it's so beautiful yeah um, Gate of Flesh is a is a old color film and you can really tell that he put like a lot of thought in this um, um, I would say that like yeah Branded to Kill uh, I thought the movie was really cool. Um, it's very incomprehensible. I don't. <laughs> it's kind of hard to like. Um, it's a little bit. It's very very chaotic. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if I have like a good grasp of what that film is like trying to tell me. Um, but Gate of Flesh is. It's it's also it has that like, like chaotic nature of Suzuki, which is what really like is really appealing about him. Mm. Um, but it it's 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 very it's much more rooted in like this like uh, post World War II. Um, 
Japan, and it was during um, the time that a lot of like American soldiers were there, and like ja- the Japanese economy was basically nothing. Um, essentially, follows a bunch of like prostitutes who have basically disavowed, like, um, it, it, like disavowed everything in their life, uh, like any kind of like um, any kind of like Japanese values in their life. Um, they even tell they even tell themselves like if if any of us like sleep with a guy, right? Um, they'll they'll start they'll like uh, like torture them, and this happens in the film. Oh Jesus! <laughs> so like, gives you an idea of like, um, just how like uh, uh, I mean, again, this is a reflection of like the anger. But what I think yeah. this one was engaging with is this kind of like, um, this like su- this almost like this like absurdity of just kind of, um, this once like uh, you know you know, what we think of like Japanese like traditional values like stuff we learn from like Ozu and stuff, um, to this just complete collapse, right? And yeah. this like uh, desperate search for uh, for something, um, and this manifests itself in like in a very uh, sexual way. I'll say that much. Um, but yeah. yeah, very interesting film, and probably something a little bit more accessible than uh, *Brand to Kill*. But you know, in, in my opinion, at least, I'll check it out for sure. I, I never I, I, after watching um, *Tokyo Drift* and *Brand to Kill*, um, I decided I want to like go through all of his filmography at some point, which might be very difficult mm-hmm. considering yeah. he has like a ton of movies that you're either like lost or like not restored because he he made like yeah so many um like b pictures he made he'd make like several movies a year i think um in like the 50s and 60s yeah yeah, yeah i'm looking through his uh, okay I'm, I'm running through his filmography it's like the least popular one the least popular. yeah it has three watches so yeah po- it's popular it, it's possible there's three people who've seen it before <laughs> yeah i'm sure they did <laughs> I bet those three people just like locked yeah. up so that they could get 100 percent on Letterbox. Oh, maybe. Oh, jeez, that's <laughs> um, depressing. Yeah, I was. I got a hopeful there for a second. <laughs> um. Yeah. Let me let me go through a couple I watched recently that were good. Um. I watched a lot of bad movies yesterday. Actually, I watched. Um, oh, really? Ishtar, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's um. Oh, this is Elaine May, right? Yeah, Elaine May. It's a uh, notorious for for being like a complete flop. Um, and oh, yeah, yeah, it sucks because uh, I also watched. Um, oh, I see her one star rating. Yeah, <laughs> I also watched A New Leaf by her, which was really good. It was a great comedy. It was her first um, mm-hmm. directorial film. But the real shame about Ishtar is that, um, well, besides the fact that it sucks, um, that it kind of like tanked <laughs> her career. Um, it was, oh, yeah, so, it was such a flop. She like never made a movie again, which is so unfortunate because she's like really oh, talented. Really? Yeah, um, A New Leaf though, really good. Um, it's a great kind of like, like kind of like screwball comedy, kind of thing. It actually reminds me a lot of those like early sound comedies from like the '30s. That kind of a style, but it's like brought to the um, the present day at that time, which was like 1970, 1971. Um, uh-huh. Definitely worth checking out. That was good. Um, yeah. I there's saw, a lot of like stories yeah. like that. Of well, I guess there there isn't that many, but there's like a few stories of like who like made some like a really great film and just never directed after the reception never directed one the big one is a uh, night of the hunter which i think yeah like oh my god night um, of the hunter is yeah definitely one of my favorites but um, yeah like um what's the director's name night of the hunter charles lawson uh, charles something right charles lawson yeah he yeah. That, that that film got like terrible reception and yeah. uh, he never directed film after that um but that's a real shame because night of the hunter is an incredible film another one is um uh linda um, which was or Lin, no, it's not called Linda. Sorry. Uh, well, um, God, it's a film from 1970. It's like a feminist. 
It's like uh, the character's name. All right, whatever. Wanda? Just <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. I'll is it is it Wanda? Continue. Wanda, yeah, that's it. Okay. Wanda, jeez. Um, but yeah, that was a great film too. One of these like early, um, very naturalistic portraits of a, of like um, maybe femininity is a bit too sensualist of a, of a concept, but like um, uh, definitely a very interesting film. But yeah, Barbara Loden didn't direct anything after. <laughs> mm, that sucks. Um, I'm not sure if it's film. directly related with the relationship, but yeah, that was definitely like a unique talent that. Um, I mean, you see echoes of this in like a lot of modern films, but yeah, this film was directed in 1970. Hmm. It's uh, very good. That's cool. Um, a couple other ones I saw really quick. Bamboozled is really good. Uh, Spike Lee. It's one of my favorite Spike Lee's. It's a Spike sure. Lee, right? Yeah. yeah. Check that one out. Um, absolutely crazy film. And probably the best movie I saw recently is Seconds by John Frankenheimer. Um, uh, I haven't mean to watch that. I haven't seen anything by John Oh, and call myself a cinephile. <laughs> <laughs> and you call yourself a cinephile. No, um, definitely get into him when you can. Uh, I, I started getting into him recently. I, so I've watched um, Manchurian Candidate, which is a classic. Definitely check it out. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen the remake. I haven't. Is it good? No, it's good. <laughs> I watched it when I was like 13. Gotcha. And I remember uh, I thought it was weird. That gotcha. was my review of it. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Mentoring Candidate's amazing. Um, uh, Seven Days in May is really good. Um, it's about like a coup mm-hmm. and, and the U.S. government. Ronan is, I think, very underrated. It's like a it's like a late career like masterpiece from him. Um, very much like Melville inspired. Um, and his my, probably my favorite film by him is Seconds. And that's the one I, I saw like the most recently. Um, yeah. It is insane. It's it's absolutely insane. I think uh, the reason why Frankenheimer's films are so good is because he's so creative um, with uh, like his technical style. Seconds is just like an absolute like batshit movie. Like the opening is, I can't even describe it. Like some of, like he he does like there's parts of the movie that feel like they're filming GoPro, and this was like 1966. So I have no idea how he pulled that off. Yeah, it's insane. But um, with Seconds and The Manchurian Candidate, um, those two, well, also Seven Days in May, um, he has a lot of like movies from the 60s that are um, very political and very much um, like anti-status quo. I would uh, honestly, I would, I would go as far to describe them as like leftist films to a certain extent. So Manchurian Candidate like comments on um, uh, fascism, same with Seven Days in May. And Seconds is kind of about um, how, like, dissatisfactory capitalism is in um, making your life richer. So it doesn't, like, provide you with, like, any kind Mm -hmm. of, like, self-actualization. Which is, like, something, like, kind of crazy, I think, to say, like, back then. Um, Especially because, like, uh, Manchurian Candidate uh, comments a lot on... um, the, the Red Scare and, like, McCarthyism. So it, it was still, like, kind of, like, in near, near like, that period. Although I guess it's been, like, 15 or so years since since McCarthy at that point. Um, but, yeah, uh, definitely check out check out Frankenheimer. He, he's one of those guys that is really good at unpretentiously putting in, like, political commentary in his films. I think that a lot of filmmakers struggle with... Um, 
putting political commentary in their films and also making it interesting like as a film on its own so like kind of like not making it too didactic uh, but um yeah frank Hummer, i think seconds yeah. also um the commentary is just there enough for you to like catch on to it which makes it incredibly rich but you can easily miss it if you're just if you're focused on the um like the the strange like thriller aspects of it so yeah definitely check out frankenheimer definitely check out seconds everything i've seen by him has been amazing can't wait to watch more yeah for sure yeah it'll definitely at some point i will yeah <laughs> at some point. um yeah no i mean yeah i don't know it, it's hard I, I the way i watch movies is just so random same yeah <laughs> i'll I, watch this now <laughs> yeah it, it just like kind of um I, I watch whatever it is i feel like watching and there's there's no like grammar reason to i that. i have um i have a list on i follow this i follow a number of lists on letterbox mm. um and the one i've been going to recently is called the great unknown it's just like a list of films that are essentially like you know pop no, no have like really high ratings but aren't like well known mm. um and so what i do there is i sort them by I like uh, I uh, filter for the ones I haven't seen, mm-hmm. and I go to random number generator, and I whatever one, <laughs> and I, I don't go through the whole list because if you go to the list, you'll get stuff that you just won't find. Mm. Um, but I go through like like about eight hundred or so of those films, and then I <laughs> random number generator whatever I land on, I watch. That's <laughs> pretty cool. I, I've been going like that. I should try um, that because so like, it's cool because you get like so, I have such like a hard time deciding what to watch, so that sounds like a fun way of doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got some interesting films. Um, I saw. Uh, um, hmm, I'm trying to look through films. I saw the li- a live live old lady, like a, um, it's like 1930s comedy. Uh, this like random 30s comedy that I would have never. It was really, it was like, you know, I don't know if you like old Hollywood stuff, but some of the stuff is like really, just like it's the the dialogue is written in such like a. Such like a fun way that that is yeah like, like that like um, snappy kind of that style they don't back do it then. anymore. Yeah, I, I love that kind of style. Yeah, I've been I've been um, getting more into like old Hollywood recently. Um, that's like a huge gap in my um and what I've watched. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, definitely watch uh, some Howard Hawks stuff. That's my it's my favorite. Yeah, I, I would have mentioned if we you know if we if, if I could say here for an hour to have talked about. <laughs> I like uh, uh, Angels Have Wings, which is. Mm. Yeah, I need you to see like that what? one. I need to see that one. Um, I like um, uh, Scarface a lot by him, and The Big Sleep too. I think those are my mm-hmm. two favorites. Actually, Big Sleep is really cool. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart who yeah. <laughs> just talked to any woman. And, uh... Yeah, that's, that's so <laughs> funny. That's a way. Yeah, but that I think that really showcases like uh, his writing ability, Howard Hawks's. Rather, like he also had a team of writers, so you know, yeah. Them, you know, it's like, weird. Uh, apparently, certainly, like a lot of Howard Hawks films. Yeah, apparently, um, William Faulkner actually wrote The Big Sleep too, which is which is pretty funny. I, I, I never knew that. He yeah, and there's an interesting anecdote. There's an interesting anecdote. The Big Sleep is not like the most comprehensive film. Um, it doesn't totally make sense. And there was like, yeah, God, I don't, I remember what it was, but essentially, there was like. There was this. There, there was this thing that happened. Like some, I, I don't exactly know the plot of the big sleep, but like some, some car goes into the, like dives into the water, mm-hmm. and um, um, and there was like some confusion around like what happened. Um, and so like one of the actors they asked uh, Hawks, and Hawks is like clueless. He's like, wait, I was just adapting this man, <laughs> and so they call Faulkner, 
And Faulkner writes back, is like, oh, I don't know either. <laughs> this is a bad. That's really funny. Um, but but the appeal of the big sleep is um, is is that like you know that 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 Humphrey Bogart's you know, just making all the women within like, uh, uh, like a ten mile radius like follow him. Like that's the appeal of the big sleep. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Um. Uh yeah, but yeah, Howard Howard Hawks is like. A, yeah, I don't know. I'm not gonna go too far into him, but it's um, he's. I think I think he's 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 been my favorite old old Hollywood director for a while. Um, Only Angels Have Wings is like I think his like most definitive masterpiece, and definitely his like most reflective of his style and like what he contributed to um, with his films. Um, but yeah, definitely watch like My Girl Friday. This is like a perfect showcase of like comedy writing. Like, like mm. um, yeah, that that in that film they literally like. It was it, that, that film was like notable talk on top of each other, yet it maintains this like uh, clarity like consistently throughout. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's a very like exciting to watch. It's a very exciting film to watch just like from the standpoint of dialogue. So yeah, mm. definitely check that one out. Yeah, that old that old style um, was always yeah. was really fun. Um, I, I forget like how watchable some of these like older Hollywood movies are. I, I gave them a lot of credit. I think that a lot yeah. of people don't don't realize how fun they can like, how they, how fun they can still be. <laughs> But yeah. Um, yeah. This is why I'm always like, um, I never think about like bad movies. I was just like, hmm. uh, I, I always feel like the movie that I don't love, I'm just gonna, I'll like it if, if I <laughs> rewatch it later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. there's I like mean, so much stuff that you miss, you know. Yeah, yeah. This um, this is why like you should always rewatch it. You're a little bit dismissive it. about. Yeah, like there's there's a ton of movies that I've seen and I didn't I didn't really like like um, I saw Eyes Wide Shut a while yeah, ago. Antonioni, right? Yeah. Uh, that 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 too. But I saw like Eyes Wide Shut a while ago and like I didn't really like it, but. I rewatched that relatively recently, and now it's like one of my favorites of all time. And same thing happened with Antonioni, yeah, yeah with um, Blow Up. I really liked that when I rewatched it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything yeah. else you want to touch <laughs> upon before we wrap up? Um, I feel like we've already gone for too long. <laughs> Fair <laughs> we enough. Should well, we should end it. Boris, thanks so much for uh, for joining. I hope you come back. Yeah, thanks soon. for having me. Um, I don't often get opportunities to talk about. <laughs> um, so this is really cool. Yeah, I, I was taking this like last thing. I was taking this like script writing class this semester. Oh, um, cool. Uh, and uh, there were certain parts of that, like um, certain part, uh, certain times we just talk about like movie watch and just like uh, recommend stuff to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always had to like. I always had to like you know, recommend stuff that was like. Uh, I mean, I recommended uh, No Man Land. I know you don't love that movie, but I thought that was really good. And mm. I would always have to recommend stuff that was like, like very. Uh, like I could never recommend like you know. I watched Killer of Sheep recently. Like I would never recommend that. Oh man, I um, love that movie. <laughs> I'm a huge yeah. Charles Burnett fan. I was I was I've been meaning to watch Charles Burnett. Oh, I definitely check out um to sleep with I watched that. If if you yeah, I know I saw that on your list. Yeah, you definitely have to see that. Um, but yeah, it was just like, like, there's this like whole section of films that are, I think are just like way too inaccessible to like, uh, recommend to like people. Um, yeah, that's true. And it was, it was, it, it's like, but it's like, this is like all I watch and just like occasionally I can like recommend something that it feels like accessible enough for people to watch. Um, so it's really, really cool to like talk to you about like all these esoteric films that <laughs> I never get to talk about normally. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It is, it is hard to like find other people to talk about these kind of movies. So. 
I hope you've enjoyed your time, and yeah. I hope you will um, come back soon so we can talk about even even more esoteric movies. I'm thinking we should maybe do one where we just, like, we don't really have, like, a central movie, and we just kind of, like, go off on, on whatever, because I feel like some of these, like, rabbit holes we went kind of the, interesting. Yeah, this was kind of the... <laughs> yeah. Went on a lot of tangents, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't mind. For podcasts, I think tangents are actually the most interesting part. So, um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, and that's it. That's it for us today. And I don't know what we'll be doing next because we're in the middle of finals, but we'll figure something out. All right. Goodbye. Yeah.